This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Impact Tactical. They're a tactical outfitter for first responders and military. Uh, me, guys, personally, I can vouch for them and their quality service. I've used them for the last uh, 11 years of my career. Be sure to check them out at impacttactical.com. Uh, that's M-P-A-K tactical.com. And uh, be sure to tell them that uh, Two Cops, One Donut saying. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Sarah coating your Cerakote specialist is air force veteran and retired police sergeant paul ware aka the sarge he can Cerakote your firearms auto parts tools even your sports equipment this veteran-owned business is located at 5025 saunders suite 103 fort worth texas 76119 you can call them at 682-304-0363 and you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com that's www.hrhcombatarms.com All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. Special guest with me today is a school resource officer. His name is Ethan Judd. How are you doing today, buddy? Pretty good. How are you? Wonderful. I'm glad you made the trip out. I yeah. heard you had a little bit of trouble today. It's been a shit show for like a week. <laughs> yeah. Between the pool build, the AC going out, I got two cars and a motorcycle needing maintenance, just trying to get everything back up and running again. Everything's... It's been fun. So your AC went out too? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. With triple digits. Yeah, it was 90 upstairs and it got up to like 85 downstairs. My wife was, she was like, we got to do something. I was like, we'll in, adapt. Well, uh, they can't come out this weekend because of uh, the holiday and all that. So In the house? Yeah. Oh my God. Was it a capacitor, hopefully? No. Um, our drain line got clogged and then it flooded and then a couple of our switches went out and uh, I just had to get up there and clean it out. And uh, I had the guys come out and look at it with me, made sure that it was charged. It was a little low on refrigerant, so it froze up. Okay. It's kind of just a confluence of uh, poor maintenance and uh, bad timing. Ouch. Yeah. That sucks. So, it's running fine now, though. Yeah. Yeah. Looks good. good. Yeah. So, uh, how's the pool? That's an even bigger shit show. <laughs> we were supposed to have our pool done last August. And then it got pushed because our uh, shell with COVID and shipping delays and everything, uh, we got a fiberglass pool. Okay. And so the uh, one that we ordered was still not being made. And uh, it was in China. It was still backordered or wasn't produced yet. So we were able to get one that a guy, uh, his was going to be delivered, but he didn't want it yet because his house was being built and it wasn't like he hadn't, uh, he hadn't closed on it yet. So he said, well, uh, it's the same model that we wanted. It was just a little smaller. And it's like, my wife talked to me. She talked to the pool builder. And I was like, yeah, let's get the smaller one. I wanted the smaller one anyway. My wife wanted the extremely long version of the pool. Yeah. And uh, so now we got it. It's like 15 by 35. Okay. And uh, it's in the ground now. I mean, nice. they're, they're just finishing all the masonry and uh, getting the pump hooked up and running and then converted over to salt from the chlorine because they've been keeping it chlorinated to try to keep it clean. Yeah. While they're building it. But yeah, we were supposed to, like I said, last August and now it's uh, June. Pools are, they're almost a necessity in Texas. Um, this is the first time I've ever, you know, had one. Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't even want it. My wife was the one that wanted it. She has dreamed of having a pool ever since she grew up in Illinois. And mm. she. Uh, they only can have above ground pools mostly. Up yeah. There. 
Yeah. Um, she always wanted to have a, a swim party for her birthday, but mm. her birthday's in November. So she never had her swim party. Oh, that's like perfect for yeah, us. I know. Yeah. So I told her like, you don't even need a heated pool at no, that time of the year. No, it'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. So, uh, we had the money, we had some equity in the house. Uh, we were going to save and just do it all cash, but with the rates being so low, we refinanced, just refinanced. Yeah, yeah, baby. Took some money out of the house, <laughs> yeah. which is super inflated that, anyway. Right? That kitchen you just walked through. Yeah. Re- that was the refinance money. Yeah. Yeah. We redid the kitchen and yeah. I, I love my house now. I wish it was a little bigger for the yeah. podcast room, but sure. uh, no, it's a nice setup that you got in here. Yeah. It's real but nice. it's, it's, it's working. It, this used to be my man cave. Yeah. So I'd come in here, escape. Um, now I just don't like, I, I can't come in here to even watch like this TV now is the useless almost oh, yeah. to a point. Is yeah. it burned in yet? No, 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 it doesn't. Just got all the stuff in front of it and everything like that. Yeah. It, it, but the, the problem is like at the table, like this is a, yeah, this is a hearty table. Oh yeah. Uh, and you can't move this in and out. Cause I used to just couch potato right in the middle here. Right. Watch movies while the kids, you know, dominated the living room and, yeah. Now I I can't I can't do that. And all this equipment now gets so freaking hot in here. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So we're gonna get um my buddy that was on the last episode I had, uh no, I'm sorry, the episode before, Steve Oliver, he's a retired DPS trooper. Matter of fact, you may remember him. He trained our department. Yeah. Um in um crisis intervention training stuff. It was him and several other DPS guys. But uh, Steve was the main guy, and he'd always do a Hawaiian shirt day. Hmm. He tried to get as many people in the class to wear a Hawaiian shirt as he could. When was it? Oh. Um, it might have been when I was out. It was at least three years ago. If it was between 2015 and 2017, no, it was 2018, then yeah. It was after that. But I had already had crisis intervention before that. Okay. So. Yeah, it was a... Uh, I don't know why DPS guys had it or why that, but it was. I good, remember hearing about that. It was yeah. a good class. Um, yeah. Steve ended up stealing one of my my body cam videos. Oh yeah, which um, one? Uh, I just I did so when I was training when I was a trainer when I was like teaching at the academy. Yeah. We did a rotation out in the field, thirty days in the field. Yeah. Um, to help alleviate the patrol issues that we were having, we didn't have enough bodies, and so still don't. You still don't. Yeah. So, um, I went out in the field for 30 days and then one of those days I had an incident with a, um, I don't know. He was MHMR, uh, mental health. Uh, what's MHMR? My health, my resource, my health resource. Yeah. Uh, basically for anybody that's not familiar that basically had some mental, he suffers from mental, mental, mental illness stuff. And, um, he was also like, um, slow, um, so it, it wasn't just that he, a developmental or yeah, cognitive de- disability. Yes, that's yeah. what, that's the words I was looking for. Um, so yeah. And, uh, he, uh, had beat the shit out of two nurses that he was stayed at like a, yeah. a facility. And, Is it um, like a group home? Yeah. It's like a group home thing, but like a real group home, not the, not like the, Oh, like with like hospital the, beds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, 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 like it was a, a, a legitimate one, not the ones that you see people like claiming to be. Yeah. Those yeah. are terrible. Um, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, folks, like there's people that will like make their home, their personal home, a facility to house people with, uh, mental deficiencies and stuff like that. And they are not qualified. They, they, and oh my God. And they just, they end up turning into just really bad situations. We see them all too often, but, um, 
this was a legit place. Um, he had beat the crap out of two nurses, two female nurses that worked there. Um, so I show up and he wasn't having police at all. He didn't want nothing to do with us. Mm. So, um, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I didn't consider myself like crisis intervention trained. I wasn't that type of guy, but I walked through all the steps unknowingly to what that class taught. Yeah. So he teaches the class, right? And he's, he's teaching. I was like, I did that. I did that. I did that. If you're a good communicator, you're naturally going to do it. Yeah. So I did all these steps. I was like, dude, I got a, I got a video. Like you may want to use it as like a training video. Not to brag on myself, but if it hits every step you've got listed here. For sure. Yeah. And it worked. um, I think that's a good training video. I was like, so I was like, I'll I'll show it to you. Tell me what you think. So I show it to him on lunch break. And he's like, this is like text. Like, he's like, this is the best I've ever seen. He's like, is this how all you guys are? I said, as far as I've seen. I don't think it's just me. I mean, I know certain people that I don't think of as being very good at intervention. Yes. <laughs> but I know a lot of us are. Yeah, I, I would say the majority. I'd say 80%. Yeah, the day to day. I think, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I give him this video and he's like, do you think they'll let me use this? And I was like, well, this just happened. So it's kind of like an active case. I don't know. We'll have to get permission. So Do you have charges or anything? Or was it just a mental app? Uh, just a metal app. Yeah. No charge. Yeah, and, um, they just have to clear it through IA or whoever they release. Yeah. So they did, they yeah. went through the, the channels and yeah, he was using it in his classes and, good. um, it was good, good video. I mean, I, and again, I, I hate cause it's me. I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm bragging. No. Oh, I know. I hate um, watching my, my own videos. Yeah. It, I hate just doing this. I have to hear myself. Oh yeah. And I'm just, I'm just, I've been doing this over a year now and I'm like, God, that's what my voice sounds like. I don't think everybody, I'd say most people probably don't like the sound of their own voice. Yeah. Cause in my head, it doesn't sound like this. Right. I don't know who's, I don't know whose voice I'm hearing in my head. I yeah. mean, it's mine, but it's yeah. not what it sounds like coming out of my mouth. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, the point I was getting to about Steve is his side gig, his side hustles, uh, HVAC. Yeah. And, um, good business. I've in had, Texas. yeah, I've had several issues and, he lives like an hour away mm-hmm. and uh, kind of like you yeah. <laughs> and he's helped me out every time. Sweet. He always tries to like no charge me. I'm like, dude, I got it. Especially gas. Now. Oh yeah. Like With if you were to come out for cost, man, yeah, even like the, like the old refrigerant is extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. If you have an old system. And guess who has it? The R22 yeah. or whatever it is. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I got that. Like so 400 bucks. So that's what he told me. He was like, dude, just start saving for a new unit. And then uh, he's like, more than likely, when you have an issue, it's going to be a capacitor. Yeah. So he bought me extra capacitors. So yeah. I, so I have them on standby. He showed me how to change them. Oh, yeah. They're super easy. And he's like, and if you, you forget, take a picture of it, send it to me. I'll walk you through it. We'll FaceTime, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Good dude. And um, it's nice that he uh, saves me some money. What are you drinking there, by the way? I'm drinking some uh, blood and honey citrus. I'm a big fan of the oh. blood and honey, but I saw the citrus at the gas station and thought, you know. So they've got a. Uh, it's pretty delicious. I'll take it. Is it a beer or is it a. Uh, yeah, it's a beer. A, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It says ingredients, aquifer water from the Trinity, uh, blood orange puree, honey, malts, hops, and citrus peels. There that's we a, go. Yeah, that's a Sounds beer. like a, that's a beer. simple brew. Have you ever made beer? I have, yeah. Yeah, I made beer. Yeah, I did that back a few when times. I was in college. Yeah. Um, I had a buddy of mine, him and his dad, they would get together and I got into it with them. And it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
me and my dad did it. Um, kind of made it a father son thing. Yeah. And uh, I still we did this in like 2013, 14. And I still have like one or two bottles left. Mm. Just let them. It's it's like a. Um, What'd you make? We made a, a wheat, uh, a Belgian, mm-hmm. like, and um, we screwed up in a good way. We yeah. added too much sugar, okay, which just makes it stronger, yeah, and um, allows it to age longer. So, yeah. uh, it's probably because it's a homebrew kit. It's probably past its aging point, and I've probably it's probably actually diminishing. Yeah, but beer doesn't spoil unless you leave it out in the, the yeah. sun. So, um. When the, I don't know, when we have a special occasion, I'll, I'm going to get a bottle out and hopefully my dad doesn't listen to this part because I want to surprise him with it. Sure. And be yeah. like, hey, you still got to listen bo-. to this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got a bottle. So, <laughs> but today I am drinking, for those wondering, Tiger Thick. Okay. Mm. So I got hustled up at, um, what's it called? Uh, Specs. And I was looking for, you One know, of the some, guys giving it samples. Uh, no, actually. I, I was talking to the bourbon guy and I was uh-huh. like, I was like, I came up here. I know you guys don't have smoke wagon. Cause I'm always looking for smoke wagon now that's yeah. becoming readily available. Um, he's like, what's your palate? And I was like, I, Buffalo trace is like a, a good solid go-to. I like, um, Eagle rare. Uh, that's my second favorite. Now that smoke wagons, my first favorite. Um, I was like, so I'm, I'm in that. If if you're familiar, he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. So he shows me a couple. So um, I had forgot that you're a beer dude. So I, I was like, he'd given me two choices and one had like a sweet finish to it. It was like mm-hmm. an eight year old bourbon. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, you know what, if he drinks that, I was like, if it's got a sweeter finish to it, he may enjoy that rather than hardcore like me. Yeah. And, um, so I had that bottle and he goes, or I was like, well, uh-oh. what do you mean? Or it's like, or we just got these bottles in. So I got batch number one. Nice. Yeah. So that's yeah. that in itself is a little more rare. Um, and this is the Brendan Schaub, and I told you about it earlier. Mm-hmm. Brendan Schaub, um, comedian, uh, MMA fighter, former yep. MMA fighter. Um, that's such an odd pairing, it is. And I finally figured out why he calls it Tiger Thick because it is a whiskey and Japanese whiskey blend. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, a bourbon. I should have said yeah. bourbon. Yeah. A bourbon and Japanese whiskey blend, which I've never had a Japanese whiskey I didn't like. You've I, had I, like Suntory or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had Suntory. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you said you never had one you didn't like. Yeah, I've Got never it. had one I didn't like. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, so he sold me when he mentioned the blend with the Japanese whiskey. I was like, oh, okay. Let me, I got to try it now. Yeah. Um, it was 75 bucks. So that's pretty ballsy price for a your first time putting out anything yeah but i gotta say it's good it's blended so it's probably got a really consistent flavor yeah it's yeah. good it's not uh it's not what i would it's not my favorite mm-hmm. but i would put it up there with tx which is a, a solid yeah. a go-to like yeah. i would make this this could be a goat not for the price yeah 75 bucks like i'd rather buy the smoke wagon unfiltered uncut right all day but um that's hard to find uh that is one of the most badass bottles I've ever seen in whiskey, by the way. I mean, it's definitely, uh, it's got a lot going on. Dude, it's got the the wax built, uh, like, cut in. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the etched bottle with the, the flowers and the, the revolvers and stuff. It's so cool. It's just, when I think of an old-timey whiskey, like, that's that's kind of how I picture the bottle. Yeah. So, pretty neat. 
But if you like stuff with a sweet finish down in Johnson County, there's mm-hmm. this place called Johnson County Distillery. Uh, I met the guy when he first got it up and running and got his first batch out. It's called Jacob Weldon. Have you tried it? Uh-uh. It's really good. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's I kinda, like it's staying got a, local. Got a really nutty kind of pecan vanilla finish. Uh, it's almost like a pecan liqueur. It's a whiskey, but it is okay. so heavy on the nutty vanilla pecan flavor. Um, yeah, when I sip it straight or with a little bit of water, yeah, um, it's perfect. Yeah, I usually I cut mine just slightly. I'll either put a little splash of water in there, or I'll just let the ice cube melt slightly. Yeah, and then then you. I don't like the ice because I don't mind drinking it warm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like I it just with the splash of water. I can't do the warm. I just want to cut down the alcohol so I can taste everything yeah. and then sip on it. And I might just have one glass a month. Um, the worst thing that has come out of middle age is uh, I get ulcers. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, hard liquor really, really hurts. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. I drink one and I've got like acid reflux for like a week. Oh. And uh, so it is. How old are you? I'm only 36. Okay. Yeah. You're close. to my. I'm 39. So yeah. we're. You would have been like a sophomore <laughs> or yeah. as a senior. Yeah. So, okay. All right, sir. Well, um, the media has been blowing up the Uvalde yeah. situation. Yeah. I've been, I've been seeing a lot of stuff that I don't like about that. Yeah. So I've been wanting to get uh, a school resource officer on here. Um, as everybody that listens to this knows, I don't do politics. Um, I don't start talking about something that I don't have information on. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to me now, uh, I'm still not going to say anything about Uvalde in particular as far as what I think because the investigation's not done. Yeah. So my don't advice, have everything out yet. So. Yeah. My advice to people is like, look, I had to eat crow one time because I ran my mouth. The, mm-hmm. the Michael Brown situation. Yeah. I ran my mouth because all I had to go on and, then, you know, is what I what I was hearing. I was not as an experienced officer. Yeah. Um, and I was like, this is bullshit, you know. And then come to find out the 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 living witness slash robbery suspect slash, you know, felon yeah. lied, admitted he lied. We had three different independent yeah. investigations. They all found that even scientific that's where it gets me, which appeals to you because we're similar when it comes to logic and, and science. Yeah. yeah. Uh when when they started breaking it down mathematically and they're like, it's, it's not even physically possible for what he said happened to have happened. And I'm like, okay. And then for science back that up and I'm like, holy shit. Okay. I'm a dumbass. I ran my mouth a little too soon. Um, you know? And, and so ever since then, like, especially with this thing, I'm like, I'm not going to say shit until the investigation's over yeah. because it just, it's already happening. You know, yeah. people are saying stuff and I'm like, Rather than do all that, let me get somebody in here who has done the job and can just explain from a city of a million, 1.2 million, somewhere into that range. Yeah, we're we're around there. Um, Explain the type of training, because we're well-funded. Yeah. We're we're a department that we're well-funded. We get great training. So... Um, I'm not taking any way, anything away from Uvalde, but smaller departments, they don't typically get as high quality training or near as often. Yeah. And before we start going into what you do and stuff, one of the other things that I want to point out too, is you can do a, a, a class, you can get a certification in anything. Let's just say 
Um, we'll go with crisis intervention training. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's an easy one. Um, typically that training is only 40 hours guys for the year. Yeah. 40 hours, which is a week's worth of training. Yeah. A week of class, a week of class. And then you're considered an expert. So if you go out and screw up and the public sees that now they're going to be like, well, he was trained. What are we training him for? Defund the police. Yeah. Look, like we're not social workers. You don't understand. It's not just the that forty hours of crisis intervention training. It's all the other training that you got to do. You got um, cultural awareness type training. You've got uh, firearms training, control tactics training, uh, physical training. Um, what else? I mean, there's there's a million other classes and well, just, stuff we're called to do. We do so many things. Yes, we wear a lot of hats. Yeah. Um, we have a, we have a dog handling class yeah. that we do. Yeah. I was um, in the first one of those. That was fun. Yeah. The one we had in the city. Yeah. yeah. So, right after the, I forget who it was. Somebody shot a dog. Yes. We had that big thing yep. afterwards where, um, <laughs> there's a really funny story about me and one of my partners. We were, I've always been good with dogs. Make sure you talk. Yeah. So we, uh, I've never been really afraid of dogs. Like, you know, I can tell when a dog's really like aggressive when they're not, when they're, you know, just friendly, when they're just, you know, protecting their, their house. There's this hilarious story right before I went to the dog class when I was still on patrol. Um, me and my partner were running around, we're on evening shift in South division. And we go out on this like loose pit bull call and it's, it's late. It's after dark. So I get out and I see these pit bulls and they're running around. They're at the call location. And I get out and I'm like, hey guys, what's up? You know, I'm like talking Tell to them all friendly. Like and they're, bros. I can tell they're excited. They're wagging their tails. They're like, oh, oh, somebody's here. He's really excited. And I get my tennis ball out because I've always got tennis ball treats, leash. You know, it's in my patrol bag. Yeah. And I look over and my partner, he's got his gun out. And he's okay. like leaning over like TJ Hooker. Like, I got you, Judd. I got you. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, these dogs are fine. It's fine. Just, yeah, just relax. chill. Put the gun away. <laughs> Simmer down. <laughs> Don't shoot. Simmer down. <laughs> and they were, it was just their house. They just broke yeah. out of the fence. So I walked over and I saw where the fence was open. I was like, guys, come on, let's go home. And they were like, okay. And I threw the ball in. I was like, yeah, it's a tennis ball. I'll get another one. Yeah. And they, they went right after it. I gave them a treat. I closed up the fence with like a piece of wood that they had busted out, put the trash can there, left a note on the door. That was it. Yeah. But I've hit on my on my top of, I will jump on top of my patrol car before I oh yeah shoot a dog yeah I don't I've never ever even come close and I've been trapped on top of my car I've talked about this before I had you know the the hood dogs the, yeah. the packs of them oh, it's man, like yeah. 13 14 dogs deep and they come around the corner as I was finishing a call and I'm like oh shit and oh man <laughs> so I'm like you know, I tried to like, hey yeah, guys, and hey guys. they were like, yeah. nope, nope, fuck you. And they, you ain't from our hood. Yeah, yeah. They came up and I jumped up on top of the car. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I ain't calling anybody. I ain't, I'm not saying nothing over the radio. Nobody's going to know about I'm this. Wait. I'm going to sit on the top of the car. So yeah. I'm sitting there, sitting there. And then they're asking, am I clear? There was a call holding in my beat. Like, yeah. So I get my pepper spray out and I'm like, I just sprayed the air. Yeah. And, uh, they got one them whiff. Catch a whiff. Out. Yeah. Nope. So I should have thought of that earlier. Surprised I didn't. But uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm not shooting a dog unless I have to. I mean, I'm not saying I never would. But Yeah. I mean, know. if it comes down to it, if you're being attacked, you know, and you you got to do something. Yeah. You know, yeah. what are we I'm, really I'm pretty with? confident that I could choke a dog out. Me too. I mean, even if I have to let him. I'm going to get on, bit. Yeah. I'm going to get bit and clawed. Yeah. But I think that that dog's probably going to go down. Yeah. 
whether I have to use my uniform or what I, I mean, I've, my jujitsu skills, I've, I've done it yeah. for so long. I'm not worried uh, about a dog. I'll take a bite. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And yeah. the rabies treatment's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing that's going to yeah. hurt a lot. Yeah. Yeah. What if they shoot you in the stomach? Yeah. Like Ugh. seven times Ugh. or something. I've always heard every animal control officer I've ever talked to says it's hell. Really? Yeah. Ugh. It's, they got to, they got to shoot you in the stomach because it's got to go like directly to your liver or something. Oh. Uh. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. yeah. You too. So anyway, back to my point. Um, so what I want to do first, yeah, I, I want people to fall in love with Ethan. So uh, <laughs> that's what I, I, I set this. I, I have my own little format that I do. Right. Because the point of the show is bridging gaps yeah. um, through education and humanizing. So um, that's what I do every day. Yeah. So what I would like to know, um, my own personal, is what... Tell me the path. Where are you from? What's your education? And what led you to police work? Sure. So I moved around a little bit, um, like before I was five. We got here when I was about five years old to Fort Worth. And um, we moved around a little bit. I was born in Kansas. Uh, we moved to Saudi Arabia. What? Yeah. Um, I remember Saudi Arabia. Uh, I was there from like two to five. Uh, my dad worked on in software development, I think for oil or something. You guys don't really know. Everybody told me about it. Um, it was software. <laughs> okay. And, uh, we lived in a compound. It was awesome from me, my growing up because we had a pool, we had a rec center, we had a playground. Um, the only weird things I remembered was, you know, we had to have a driver cause my mom couldn't drive. So if dad was at work and we needed to go to like the store. Or Is something that like the cover that. story they told you? Or no, that's legit like a thing. I bet women can't drive in Saudi Arabia. I'm thinking, but I think we had a driver for the compound for security reasons. I was gonna say because we stayed. Your guy was like a Green Beret or some shit. Yeah, uh, maybe I don't know. He hasn't talked about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a good time. I remember it being super sandy. We had a crap ton of GI Joes. Um, I got busted in the face really really bad when I was little. I got still got a scar over my eye. Yeah, I got hit with like a swing and took me out. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember the ER. Yeah, that's funny. I got taken out by a swing, too. I mean, they're dangerous. Man. Well, I was an idiot. The The girls were swinging. Yeah. And I thought it would be a good idea to crawl through them as they went yeah. by. Well, I went through and I miscalculated somebody coming back on the downswing. April Clanton, I remember you. Yeah. Uh, and she face I face planted. She hit me with her ass. <laughs> I hit the ground and it shoved my teeth like, like Ugh, downwards. Did you like, bite through your lip? No, I didn't do that. But I, yeah, I probably looked like I had a hair lip after that. Yeah. I, was, I got this big scar like right above my eye. It, it hides my giant eyebrows now, but. Um, I know nothing. Giant eyebrows must suck. I've never, I've never known that pain. You, I, you can do a really <laughs> good Groucho marks. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I have a feeling after I'm, I'm going to edit this, I'm going to be like, we look like fucking brothers. I bet Maybe we, a little bit. I bet yeah. we look a little bit yeah. like we could be related. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. But uh, got the, the real dark eyebrows. Although it's weird is my beard is blonde. Mine's like I've got, every color. I've got so many different like things going on in my heritage between like <laughs> English and uh, goes all the way back to Jordan in the Middle East. So yeah, I did. I like traced it all back. Weird. But anyways, back and, to me. And you went to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I know. Like the homeland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not really. <laughs> um, so we got to, when I was about five, um, grew up in South and uh, 
graduated from a local high school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was working. I'd been, I've had a job since I was 15 years old. Okay. Um, my dad made decent enough money, but he told me early on, I'm not paying for your college. You're going to have to figure it out. Yeah. So start saving and figure it out. So I was like, okay. He also said, you're not, I'm not buying you a car. I'm not buying you basically anything. Like you can stay in our house and you're expected to make good grades. Yeah. But I'm not going to spoil you like my parents spoiled me because I didn't value it. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. All I, my friends are getting cars and I'm like, all right, guess sounds, I'll figure out how to pay My for mom one. did the same shit to me. Yeah. Um, oh, it was good. It, I, I think adversity is, is really important. Athlete? No, sports? No, Nothing. actually uh, I did band for two years and then after that I was academic and working my butt off. I had a full-time job by the time I was 17. Okay. And then uh, I had early release from school. So I'd go from like 8.30 to 12.30 and then I'd work from as soon as I could get there till 9 or 10, then study, keep my grades up and uh, do it all over again. So while you were doing that was, what was the, what was the goal? Was law enforcement was, on your radar at no. that time? No, actually, I remember um, down the street, uh, one of our guys that he was a sergeant at the time and he retired as a captain, I think. He lived down the street and I would talk with him because he had a really, really cool Mustang. So I'd go hang out and be like, oh, man, nice Mustang. We talk. And I think he was in our uh, zero tolerance unit and he was telling me about it. He was, oh, it was so cool. And I thought it was cool, but I also thought, man, I just I just don't know. I don't know if that's really for me, you know. Cause I don't, I don't crave the action. Right. Um, so, you know, I get, get done with high school and I decide college is going to be really expensive. I didn't have a lot of scholarship opportunities cause we made just enough money to not get like grants and stuff, but I wasn't a standout in any way. Um, I mean, I got good grades. I got like, you know, B plus a average, uh, GPA, but I didn't do anything so that I was offered any type of big scholarship anywhere. So. Okay. I decided to uh, save some money because uh, I was paying for it myself and uh, go to our local community college. Did that for a couple of years, uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was studying economics and finance because I found that, you know, numbers and stuff kind of made sense and it was fun and uh, I figured I'd make a lot of money. But I realized quickly I didn't like that because I was, didn't want to obsess about money all the time. So um, I started looking at different career options. I looked at the military and uh, that was closed because i have a heart defect oh so uncle sam was like negative okay and that sucked because that was i was prepping for it like i uh, i wanted to do the uh what they have it It was like 18 delta or 18 x-ray or something like that. i think it was 18 x-ray where you go in as infantry but you get a, a tryout special forces oh okay and so i was like going on ruck marches i was running all the time i was i was super in shape yeah and uh well, I was prepping for that and then went through and they're like, sorry, that can be a, that can be an option. Yeah. I could have fished for a waiver pretty hard and might've gotten it. But when they told me that I was like, crap. Uh, so kept working, kept going to school. And then, um, a guy I was working with said, Hey man, the fire department's hiring for, uh, for, for a local department. You should do that. I'm like, that's crazy run into a burning building mm, no. on purpose. Like I, I understand finding yourself there, but no. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, you were going to do the army. And I was like, yeah, that's different. That's a, that's a fire fight. Not a, not fighting a fire. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, the cops are hiring too. And I thought I hadn't thought of that. 
let's uh, let's see what that's about. So uh, I was 20, wasn't even old enough to have a license, wasn't even old enough to buy bullets for my gun, and uh, went to the department. And I remember asking him while I was filling out the paperwork for the application for the civil service. I, uh, I said, so what's the deal with me being 20? Will, will they hire me? And the guy I was talking to, he was an old head. He was one of those guys that had been here forever. And then he had left and he'd come back as a civilian. He was just kind of helping out in backgrounds. And he was like, well, you can apply, but they're not going to hire you because you're 20. I said, are you telling me I can't apply? Or are you telling me that they're probably not going to hire me? He said, they're not going to hire you. I said, okay. So I applied anyway. I was super in shape. Uh, Didn't studied, want to let it go to waste. Studied for the test. Um, I was I was still keeping up. You know, like even though I knew I wasn't going to the army, I was like, you know, I like this stuff. I like I like being in shape. I'd never been athletic before. I always been kind of kind of chunky. Uh, just kind of you know. Well, you're a band nerdy. kid. Yeah, I was a band yeah. kid. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Wait a second. Let me go back for him. Yeah. You said you studied for the test. Oh yeah. So if you guys are, we obviously we work for the same place. We're yeah. not going to mention where, but we work for the same place, and you can figure it out. You're not dumb. But um, just to give you a little background, you know, my dad retired from the same yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that asshole never told me that there was study material. There and I didn't learn is. about that yeah. until after I had taken the test. <laughs> What'd you get on the test? Uh, I got like a ninety-one. That's good. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after I t- took the test and, uh, yeah. you know, obviously it worked out. I got hired and yeah. everything. But um, I'm talking to people in the academy and stuff and they're like, yeah, I studied. And, and I started hearing people study. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you study? What did you study? Because I remember Googling, you know, and we're talking 2011. Yeah, 12. I got hired on at 07. So I'm looking, you know, I'm looking and I, I didn't see any study material. I, all I was told is, is like English grammar. It tells you what's yeah. on the test. Like, it's like a basic English test. And too. Uh, our department's website at the time was basically non-existent. So I didn't have any real elites being from out of state. Yeah. And uh, I took that test raw and find out, come to find out that there was study material. Yeah. So fuckers, I probably could have been in a class ahead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your mic all of a sudden cut out. Keep. What the hell? You're not coming in at all. There it goes. Talk. You got it? Back up now? Yeah, that was weird. Your mic completely cut out. That makes me nervous. We're back on now? Yeah, we're good. I'll let you know if it cuts back out. That was strange. Um, Yeah, he just went dead in my ears. I was like, what the hell? So, um, yeah, so uh, had I scored higher... Then I would have been in the class ahead. Yeah. Um, had a little more seniority. No big deal. I'm here yeah. now. But yeah, so sorry to cut you off. I was just, I you said you studied for the test. I like, did, yeah. Son of a yeah. bitch, I didn't get to study. Well, I only got like two points higher. I think I got like a 93. I okay. Know, I, I remember it was in the 90s, but it wasn't like 99 or you know, yeah. like that. But it was it was in the 90s. And um, yeah, I got in and everybody that I talked to had said, oh man, hiring takes a long time. You know, they might not call you for a year you know, or six months or something like that. And I was like, okay. So I just went back to work and I told my boss like, Hey, I took this test. I did pretty good on it. And he's like, great. You know, my, my boss that I've been working for, um, I worked at Mrs. Baird's bakery and, uh, worked in the maintenance department. And my boss was like, you got to get out of here, man. You're not going to, you're not going to, I'm not going to make you full time. Like he, he would, he would intentionally keep me like at 39 hours because he's like, you're going to college and we're really flexible about your schedule, but you're not going to, you're not going to work here for the rest of your life. Yeah. 
And yeah, I was like, like, oh, come on, man. Like I can, like, I'm, I'm really thinking like college isn't for me. I really like this stuff. We're building stuff all the time and fixing stuff. And he's like, no, I'm not going to let you do this. He saw more potential. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He pushed me to, he's like, you got to keep going to college. The only way I'm going to, I will fire you if you, if you quit college. And I was like, okay, fine. It's a good boss. Yeah. He was a great boss. I try to tell everybody. I, I don't, I honestly, like even with my kids, my, my oldest was talking about wanting to be a music teacher. That's like her, yeah. you know, how she's 13. It's going to change, but I'm sitting there and I'm just like, God, girl, you've got like, you're, you're short. She's naturally musically gifted. Yeah. She plays two instruments. She's the type of girl. She can hear something and go play it. Oh yeah. Um, and she, you know, she does orchestra, viola and stuff like that. So it's. To me, it's amazing. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, you have a talent. Yeah. Like, like I'm worried you're being so short sighted. Like you don't have to teach music. You can go perform. You can yeah. be the person that people want to hear, you know? And so, um, that must've been what he, you know, type, same type of thing. He sees the, yeah. And he's like, look, I, I hope you, I hope you enjoy whatever you do for a living. If you, if you enjoy what you do for a living, it's not work. Yeah, um, for sure. And that's, that's what I feel about police work. I love what I do. I, yeah. I me too. love it. And, um, you know, the best part about where we're at, because we're so large, if I start to get tired of something, it, yeah. you know, worn out, I can change. But yeah. It's like, that's it, not a problem. So. Yeah. We have a lot of opportunity. So, yeah. So I'm all about as long as you do what really, truly makes you happy and not because you settled like that's and and it sounds like that's what your boss was like. Yeah. Your boss wanted. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're getting by. You like it. But this ain't this ain't gonna be your passion. Yeah. So. So um, I got called like three weeks after I took the test. Fuck you. I know you. I'd rather be lucky than good. Dude, it took me a year. And I was in, now I was working for another department, so it wasn't yeah. a big deal. Yeah. But yeah, it was a year long process. Yeah. Fuck. Well, I, I tested in, I think I, I put in my packet and I applied in November and I was in the academy by March. I hate you. Yeah. Yeah. I, had I got to, lucky. I was right I at a, the big hiring push. I had to fly to Texas three times. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I had to drive to downtown like and five times. I was hired to the Michigan State Troopers. I had an academy date. Oh, yeah. And I finally called them because I was trying to just double check that where we were working was going to take me. Yeah. And uh, I almost said it. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, it was finally I got like, yes, you have an academy date. You're you're here. And I was like, all right. Then I called Michigan. Let me, let me hey, let Michigan um, know. I have to decline my academy spot. No more you, snow for me. Yeah, because you stay there. You know, you like live at the. It's not like where we went, where you report back and forth. Yeah, um, yeah it's like DPS. Yeah, 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 exactly. Just like DPS. So I, I would live there, um, throughout the academy, and so, which is something in my in from Michigan, like that is, like when you're talking cops, MSP, Michigan State Police, that's the top of the tops. Like they are so revered. Uh, in Michigan because they they are they are so squared away you know good um and to turn them down when you tell people your family members and stuff that you declined yeah, them you have snow up there yeah fuck yeah. snow no yeah I'm with you 
Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did you it. made the right choice. I, yeah, I did. I we did. have the sun here. It'll try to kill you, but yeah, yeah you can you can handle it. <laughs> yeah. It's I, not like I'd 11 rather, million tons of white bullshit. Yeah, I would much rather deal with the sun than deal with the snow. Me so, too. Yeah. Me too. That's yeah. why I live in the South. Yes. So, but all right. So you, damn, you get in. Yeah, I got in. I uh, started when I was 20 years old. I was the youngest person in my class. Um, I don't think a lot of people thought I was going to quit because I was, I was pretty driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely like, I went out, like I, I would try, try to be the class vice president. I was very involved. I was trying to like, I was doing extra stuff on the weekends with like crime prevention and I was, I was hundred percent full send. Let's go. I'm yeah. doing this now. And I was still living at home even you so, know, during the Academy. So as you're going through, like, obviously the, a lot of people say a lot of officers will tell you, like, I've always known. Yeah. You weren't one of those. Oh, no. So as you're going through, you know, a six, seven, eight month academy, what is your, where's your mindset at as far as this becoming, is it, is it growing on you the more you're doing it? My mindset when I went for my interview for uh, my oral review board was uh, I'd, I'd done some like soul searching and thinking about it and like, what's this going to really be like? Like, I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to be physically demanding. I don't have to work shifts. I know I'm going to see terrible stuff, but what am I going to get out of it? What am I going to, I'm like, I'll get steady pay. Yeah. I'll never be rich, but I'll be comfortable. I'll have an honorable job where I do what I'm passionate about. And that's helping, helping people. Yeah, that's exactly exactly it. Yeah. And so I got grilled really, really hard. I think it was in the oral review board for about an hour and 15 minutes. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I was in there, and um, my background investigator, uh, Dave, we talk now, we're friends now. Um, he's he's like, when, when he came out, he, he just gave me this look, and he was like, well, we'll see. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I thought I was done. I thought I went back, and I was like, man, that was tough. Uh, but they drilled me really hard. They they really were like, why do you want to do this? And because I'm just I'm a 20 year old kid. Yeah. You know, I'd been working at the same place. I'd been working at Mrs. Baird's for like two years. You know, I, I, I had transitioned there right after high school and I, I had a good thing going there. I liked it. You know, I was getting paid like what I thought was okay. It was like 14 an hour, yeah. you know, and I thought, man, I could really make a career out of this. I might switch over to engineering and then like try to work in the plant and fix stuff, you know? Um, but I kept, just thinking like, man, what if I, what if I had this opportunity to just help people all day? What if I had this opportunity to just be somebody that could just help people? And I just kept telling them that. And they're like, well, you're going to have to arrest people. I said, that's fine. I'll arrest people. It's helping the greater good. It's helping more people than it's hurting. Well, you might have to hurt somebody. I'm like, but I'm, I'm doing it for an objective. Yeah. I'm doing it to keep the peace or to enforce the law. And I said, well, go be an ambulance driver. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to be a cop. And they said, well, we'll go be a firefighter. No, I don't want to do that. I, I want to be like a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I told them I was like, mm, I'll sign up for gunfights, so I'm not going to sign up to run in a burning like, building. Yeah. I don't like fire, and I don't like people spit, blood, vomit, any I mean, other bodily fluids. And as a cop, I, I have more of an option. You do. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I think you and I have both been in, we've been doing this long enough, we've been in knockdown dragouts covered in our own yeah. bodily fluids and other people's, yes. you know, from wounds or, or whatever. Uh, vomit, spit, you know, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, all the nasty. Yeah, it's, it comes with the territory. It does. But that's not the intent. Like, I don't go up to somebody thinking, man, I'm going to have to, like, make this guy bleed and I might get thrown up on. You know, I go up thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. How can yeah. I help? Right. Oh, you want to fight? Okay, well, wrong day. 
yeah wrong person yeah like yeah. even if you beat me i got like a dozen people that are on their way so yeah you're not gonna win yeah so and you're probably not gonna beat me anyway so i have every fight i've been i try to tell this to people i'm like listen all the training i've done when it comes to uh-oh camera's really, really full fucking Shit. rookie yeah. uh all the training I've done as far as martial arts, boxing, you know, judo, uh, jujitsu, uh, Shotokan. I don't like to brag about that one. Actually, I did Shotokan karate. Yeah, I did yeah. Shotokan. It was like the cool thing. It was really kid. cool. Yeah. You break boards. You, yeah. 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 So I learned how to kick a little yeah. bit. And, uh, yeah. But um, I always get hurt in a fight. Always. I've always been hurt. Man, you need to learn how to fight. Uh, I know, right? Um, you listen up. Because if I feel like I'm getting in a fight, I will straight stretch in front of somebody. I'll be like, okay. And I'll just start like stretching yeah. and like, you know, getting my elbow, you know, get everything warmed up. Yeah. Most of the fights that I've been in isn't, I can say this, honestly, most of the, I would say the majority of the fights I've been in, it's because I'm helping another officer. Yeah. Not because it's my call. I That's been my experience too. I don't know. Now that I'm reflecting on it. Okay. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Okay. There's. There's been a couple. I mean, I've had a few where people just, you run across the person yeah. that just wants to fight. They want to fight, yeah. But I'm, for me, I'm never antagonizing somebody trying to get them to fight. Right. I'm trying to calm them down so I don't have to fight. Them. What I, was, I don't want to hurt Yeah, well, the point that I was getting to is that I've actually, because I think, I think the person that trains a lot, as far as that stuff goes, they're the ones that use it the least yeah. because they end up getting... I, I don't think it's just the words they use. I think it's the way they come across. Yeah. Um, it's how you're perceived. Yes. So and, I, and I can't. Your body language. Yeah. I can't explain how my body language is. I don't think I do anything different, but whatever my body language is, it it's conducive to people not wanting to mess with me. It comes off as confidence. It, it must. I, I talk with uh, one of the guys I work a part-time job with and he trains jujitsu. He just, he's been into it for about a year, year and a half. And he said, yeah, since I've been training jujitsu, my confidence is way higher and I get in way less fights now because people can just tell. Yeah. And I say, yeah, that's what you train. You train so you don't have to use it. But when you do, you take control immediately. Yeah. You, you figure it out and you do it with a lot less injuries to, to the bad guy and to you. I've said it a million times. I think it should be mandatory. I think yeah. it should be mandatory that you at least achieve um, a blue belt, uh, whether that's through a mandatory of two years or however quickly you get to it at a legitimate yeah. place. Um, it should take about two years, um, yeah. for the, unless you're the dude that, you know, you have no family, you have, you're just there, you're every, just there day. every day, you go yeah. there six days a week, you know, you'll make it quick six months. Yeah. Uh, um, but assuming you have some athletic gift, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I have found that in my my time as an officer, seventeen years, um, that the I typically for if it's my call and I'm the one that's there and starts initiating stuff and talking, I don't get in fights. It just doesn't happen. It has happened, but there's mitigating factors as far as the guy was high as a shit. He yeah. just got released from prison. He didn't know, even know where his brain was. His brain was out in space he was his physical body was here and his physical body thought he was still in the pen so yeah. <laughs> that was yeah that. So it's it's kind of a traumatic learned response at that point you know it's you, you get in that fight or flight mode so quick yeah and you forget where you're at yeah and and so for me the the, the real knockdown dragouts that i've been in 
it, they, I didn't start them. I wasn't even, I was the second officer yeah. and I was backing up a, a, a partner and they were out of the fight. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I have initiated two fights. Like yeah. they and were giving, this guy has to go to jail or he, yes. or, and they were showing all the signs and symptoms that they were going to fight. And so I struck first. You can preemptively yes. take control. I, yeah. I, I pulled the whole Cobra Kai strike first, strike fast, strike hard. So I, it, it works. works. It worked. <laughs> it worked. It's true. So yeah, if you know, you're going to have to go hands on, like yeah. this person is going to jail and they're exhibiting all of the behavior indicators yep. that they are going to resist. Yeah. Just start off on the right foot. Don't be reactive. Uh, speed, aggression, violence of action, end it quick. Yep. And you have a much less likelihood of anybody getting yep. If anybody out there is listening and you're looking for some sort of training, there's two that I would recommend. Um, Gracie Survival Tactics and then John Burke's. Um, I can't remember John Burke's, uh, the name of his class off the top of my head. I'm sorry, John, if you listen to this. Um, yeah, he's going to be mad. Yeah. He's like, you motherfucker. No, he's a good dude. <laughs> uh, I'm going to look. I'm actually, I'm going to get it right. So I'm going to type in his name here, Jonathan Burke, and I will tell you his stuff. Uh Next level combatives. That's what it is. Next level combatives. Uh, he's got the P4 program, um, which is all good stuff. And just like you were talking about. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Those two guys I recommend if you're in law enforcement and you're looking for a place to start, those are two places I would start. I tell people just train in jujitsu and Krav Maga. If you hit both of those and you get decently competent, like if you took a year of Krav Maga and a year of jujitsu, okay. you will probably have striking down and you'll probably have grappling down. Because you're going to be cross-trained a little bit in both. I'm I'm kind of anti-Krav Maga. Really? A little bit. Yeah. Um, I I like it military. Yeah. Um, as a military member. Um, love it. My problem with Krav, and it's not all Krav, because a lot of Krav Maga, it, whether we want to admit it or not, just like jiu-jitsu, it's, it's a mixed martial art. There's, mm-hmm. there's things from all walks of life when it comes to martial arts and Krav yeah. Maga, judo, uh, Israeli, you know, knife fighting and all that. They're Filipino knife fighting and all that stuff. So, um, I dread getting in a it, knife fight. It, oh God. I'm, I've ran, I've ran, yeah. from, I've ran from a knife. Yeah. I've ran, I ran chase a gun, run two, from a knife. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I ran 200 yards ish, just sprinted. He got the knife out and I ran. I was like, it's just him and I, I'm not worried about another person. Yeah. So I don't have a civilian to protect. So I ran and then I turned around. He was winded. I was winded, but I had better cardio. So yeah. Then That's I where training around. comes in. It, yeah. That's then right. I turn around and I was like, all right, now I got time. I got distance. So I'm going to. Both friends. Yeah. yeah. So um, my problem with Krav is it's uh, one for most things that I've seen in Krav. And, and I was a Krav instructor for law enforcement. Yeah. Um, I got the certificate for that. But uh, which doesn't make me an expert, guys. It's another thing we'll get to later yeah, in a I'm, different I'm, topic. I'm definitely not an expert. I'm yeah. I'm a journeyman at both. But uh it's too the the motor skills and and stuff are too finite to me. You know, weapons manipulation, stuff like that. If you don't continuously practice that, that is a super perishable skill. Yeah. Whereas in jujitsu, um, it's still a perishable skill. All of them are. Um, but they go off of that gross motor function a lot easier. When you're fatigued, when you're tired, yeah. you know, I can still manipulate, yeah, yeah, I can manipulate a, a body part m- way more than I can a little weapon and, yeah. and fingers and stuff like that. Um, and then two, Krav Maga is very fucking aggressive. That's what I think you need from it. 
think you, some people need to be taught how to be aggressive. Like I needed to be taught how to be aggressive when I got in. you can get that from jujitsu. Yeah. But I don't think jujitsu teaches striking or emphasizes stand-up fighting as much. Because jujitsu has, um, it depends on where you go. There's, there's combat oriented jujitsu and then there's sports jujitsu. Um, and you can't let yourself get wrapped up in sports (laughs) jujitsu. I haven't trained in either because my injury history has kept me from training in anything for past, you know, like basic rehearsal movements. Yeah. That sucks. But yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, I, and I, I don't want to come off like I'm like no Krav period. Yeah. No, it, or it definitely has a place. I think I, I especially think if you have prior training mm-hmm. in anything else, Krav would be a good supplement Yeah, because now you, you've got a good understanding and then you can, you can dial back your stuff. Yeah. But if that's your first thing that you've ever learned is Krav. Yeah. Holy shit. You're going to be an aggressive motherfucker. You might need to be tempered a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think I like the, the path that I took of uh, doing the karate and then, Going into the police academy and learning the police combatives, the control tactics. We used to call it defensive tactics. Now we can talk control tactics. Um, and then I got certified as a control tactics instructor uh, probably from like 2010 to up until about 2015 when I started taking all the classes, getting all the certificates, um, going through all of it. And um, when I was injured in 2015, that's, that's when you know it kind of all stopped for me. So I haven't taken anything. What past. type of injury? I had a traumatic brain injury. No shit. Yeah. I had a bad know. one. What yeah. the fuck happened? If uh, you don't mind talking we're about it. We were doing Red Man. Yeah, I don't mind talking about it. Like getting recovered from it, um, the goal was that nobody would ever be able to tell. And so far, all my doctors and everybody I've talked to said, yeah, man, like we had no idea. Um, but yeah, in 2015, we were doing Red Man. We were teaching the recruit class, uh, the one, two, three. Oh, okay. You know, you know, you got your uh, passive compliant, your non, you know, compliant, and then you've got your aggressive non-compliant. Right. Yeah. And uh, I got kneed in the head while I was on the ground, and uh, it was collateral, wasn't intentional. Okay. Uh, I shrimped. You know, I was trying to trying to pull somebody in, and uh, he th- jumped up and threw a knee really, really hard. This and um, it just got me in the side of the head just right, and I went out. I was out for about, you know, I've been, I've been knocked out between all the training and the, just everything we've done. I've been knocked unconscious a lot and (laughs) it's not good. (laughs) It's not, no, it's not. That Um, stuff accumulates. (laughs) It does. It does. Uh, and, um, so yeah, I I went out for like maybe a second because I remember like being out and then coming right back. Flash knockout. Yeah. That's what I call them. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and my hands were behind my back, you know, I was prone and, you know, they were calling red and. Uh, I kind of shook my head and was like, what just hit me? Um, and we talked about it, you know, uh, the supervising instructor and I, and the student, we all talked about it and we're like, Hey, you can't throw knees to the head. And I felt it. And I remember saying like, no, 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 it glanced off my shoulder. You know, you, you can't aim for the head, but I think it was collateral. He's like, yeah, I was aiming for your side. And they like, you, you pulled your arm in and twisted and then it glanced off your shoulder and I got you in the head and he threw that thing hard. I mean, he was okay. One of those. So you were in the red man. Yeah, so. I was in the red man. Okay, yeah, I was the red man. I was I was helping teach, and um, got done with that. Went and sat down, waited for the next you know recruit to come through because we were you know you you fight like one recruit and then you have like two off and then you'd fight again. And we had a big class; it was like fifty. And at that point, 
in our now developed concussion protocols, I would have been done for the day. Have experienced like what you call flash knockout or, yeah. you know, anytime you lose consciousness, your brain's been rocked. Yeah. You need to quit. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's different than being choked. Big out. tough police officer, <laughs> uh, smart guy, me said, no, 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 I'm fine. And I kept going and I kept getting hit in the head. I kept getting slammed on the ground. Um, other instructors were falling out and I was picking up the slack. So now I'm like fighting two back to back. And uh, after a couple hours of that, you know, working through all these recruits, I get done. I'm just, I'm banged up, you know, like every red man day, you're just banged up. Yeah. And I'm stretching out and uh, all of a sudden my right side of my vision just completely starts to go and just black. And I'm thinking like, oh, this is weird. I'm having another migraine because I started getting migraines after I'd been through all the control tactics training, been knocked out a few more times. Uh, the academy, I got knocked out twice in the academy. I got three concussions, or just, just two. Sorry. While you were a student? While I was, while I was in, the, yeah, in okay. the police academy. First one during the, uh, uh, what do they call it now? Survival, close quarter survival training or whatever. Yeah, yeah. We basically get the crap beat out of us. Yes. And uh, teach you that you can fight through. And I think it's more measured now, but I was getting punched in the face a bunch. I got knocked out several times. So I got a concussion then. I lost vision then. But going through and just having all the all the head trauma accumulate. Um, when I got done, you know, and all that vision was going out, I thought I was remaining cautiously optimistic. I'm like, okay, I probably just am getting a migraine. I'm really tired. Been a long day. Been hitting the head a few times. I feel okay. Um, but uh, something's wrong. Yeah. So got the paperwork all filled out for the injury. Just kind of relaxed in the office. Um, got done. You know, with that, after a couple hours, my vision kind of came back. It was still pretty foggy. Uh, go home, go to bed, you know, did the self-monitoring, concussion protocol, all that stuff. The next morning, I wake up, and I fall out of bed. I try to stand up, and I fall. Shit. I go to the living room, and I start try to talk to my wife, and she can't understand what I'm saying. In my head, I'm speaking. Normal. But everything was coming out slurred. Okay. And extremely uh, difficult to understand. And I kept feeling like the ground was going like this. Like my entire world and my head hurt really, really bad. Like nine out of 10. Um, I just wanted to crawl back in bed and just die. And she was up with the kids. Our, our kids were really little at the time. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. And uh, smart guy that I am, I drove myself to the doctor. <laughs> oh, shit. In that state. And, uh. Doctor yelled at me, said, you could be bleeding in your brain right now. And I finally like got out what had happened. She was like, you could be bleeding in your brain right now. I have to send you to the hospital. So I get to the hospital and uh, get through this CAT scan. You know, when you go to the ER and they get you back right away, like really, really fast, like no paperwork. No, no. Like we got to get you into the machine now. Oh, shit. that's bad. Yeah. Um, thankfully, though, everything was good. I didn't have a brain bleed. Uh, but I did have a lot of swelling. They gave me some meds, sent me home, said, hey, you got a bad concussion. Take it easy. A month goes by and I make practically zero improvement. And then that's when they re-changed my status from a concussion to a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. So from that injury point, it was like April 2015. Uh, I went to brain injury rehab uh, eventually. That was a fight. 
uh, got to see neurologists, psychiatrists, psychologists, neuropsychologists, just a whole gamut. I had a full team working on me, trying to help me get better, uh, learning to do stuff again. Cause I was at the point where I could barely take care of myself. Um, and got it all done and was able to come back. I, I did two years on O days, six months on light duty and I was able to get back. Dang. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. It was, it was bad. Yeah, it was, it was, there was a lot of talks about medical retirement and I kept telling him, no, I just, I, I got to keep fighting. I just want to, I want to get back to doing this. Yeah. You know, if I can, if I can make it back to, to where I can put on a uniform again and keep doing my job, then that's where I want to be. I said, okay, well you, you have a finite amount of time. So I did everything under the sun that I could do. I was following all the dietary restrictions. I was trying to prioritize a lot of sleep, getting a lot of cardio in. Cardio is very important for your brain health. Um, yeah. Helps with the oxygenation of your brain and uh, regulate your hormones. And, uh, I did some really cool um, therapy where they hooked my brain up to a computer and like sent like brainwave therapy in. And uh, I'm still doing therapy. Yeah. I still have stuff that I do. I mean, talk therapy, medication. Um, my wife just sent me this new thing about light therapy. You know, trying to get me because I still have deficits and that, yeah. it sucks. Yeah. Um, reading comprehension is low. It's difficult. Um, you know, I have a hearing loss. Uh, don't always uh, track stuff with my eyes as well. I get headaches really easily. I get migraines all the time. Um, Short term memory is terrible. You know, my wife will be like, we had a conversation about this. I'm like, mm, sorry, I have no recollection. Maybe, uh, maybe that's the excuse I can give my wife. Yeah. Maybe just, I have a TBI. I don't yeah, know. Just, I don't just know get a TBI yeah. and then you, then you have it's an my excuse. My memory's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got, I got through all that and I uh, was able to get back to work and nice. been doing the school thing. I, I was doing the school thing before uh, when I was doing the control tactics stuff. I was just, you know, coming in, just yeah. helping, helping out temporarily. I was still on my own assignment in the schools. And, uh, yeah, the school unit, like I was fully expecting to get shipped back to patrol. I couldn't believe that the school unit wanted to keep me Yeah, considering how long I had been out. Right. They changed the policy after that. Now we got like six months and they're like, Hey, we have to push you back to patrol. We can't stay understaffed that long. So you'd done patrol and yeah. then your next gig was yeah. SRO. Yeah. Okay. So I did, yeah, I did five, six, it's like five plus almost six years in patrol and then went over to the school unit because I wanted to do something different and my wife was getting really tired of the schedule. Okay. She's like, you're at the point where you don't have to be on nights anymore. And I'm like, yeah, but if I'm on days, it's boring. Cause I had tried days yeah. and I said, it's boring and I really don't like it. I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're out there with a bunch of old heads who are just answering calls and I, I can't get weekends off, you know? And she was like, we'll find something else. Yeah. So schools was picking people up and I thought, yeah, you know, that's not bad. So you get to schools and this is the part that I I wanted for this whole podcast is we're an hour in exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. Um so for schools. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of mistrust right now. There's a lot of um yeah. not understanding what what an SRO officer does. Now yeah. I I want to preface this varies City to city, it varies state to state, and yeah. it varies, you know, department to department. Yeah, yeah. In, in 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 the money that they get and stuff like that. We come from a place that's very fortunate. Um, so 
from a place that uh, we'll consider this is what it's like for a department that has what I'm going to, I'm just going to brag about it. Top notch training yeah. and top notch SROs. Yeah. So uh, I, what just break it down for people. Like what are your duties? What is expected of you? And then what do you actually do? Right. So as SROs, we provide law enforcement to the campus and that means everything that a patrol officer does, plus a lot more we do. We do a lot of education, intervention, prevention, and not a lot of enforcement. We are not in the business of trying to criminalize kids for juvenile misbehavior. We're trying to, I, I feel it's my personal mission every day to help at least one kid in the building in some kind of hopefully life-changing way, but if in a small way, something that diverts them from juvenile misbehavior or criminal misbehavior. If that means that I just sit and have lunch with a kid and talk with them and try to get to know them and let them get to know me, then that's all that I have the opportunity to do that day. Great. If it means that I'm working a sexual assault that happened on or off campus, uh, if it means that I'm working a fight or an assault or a theft or car crash or anything, anything that comes up and they can need the cops for, and a lot of stuff they don't need the cops for, but I find myself, I put myself in the position to help. I do. I spend a lot of time with our social workers and our counselors helping kids through whether it's uh, problems at home, uh, low attendance, poor grades, sudden change in behavior, because usually that's an indicator of some kind of trauma or abuse or just a disruption in their family life. You know, maybe they just had to move. Maybe mom left dad. Maybe dad left mom. Maybe somebody got arrested and they're struggling with it. Now they're getting they got in a fight with, you know, one of their friends and we're like, what's going on? You know. What what's happening here? So I make it my mission when I go into a situation is how can I help? Um, I know what I can do as a cop. I know what the losses I can do. I know how I can detain people. I know how I can arrest people. I know I can enforce the law, but our mandate in the CCP is keep the peace and enforce the law. So I can do that in a lot of ways. That's really open-ended. So any way that I can find to help, I do. And that means if I just sit and talk with the kid and try to give them guidance, if I connect them with resources, whether it's mental health or social work, CPS, uh, nonprofits, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, um, anything that I can do. I've got a very diverse background having done this for a while now. I've been doing it almost 10 years. I do anything I can do to help a kid. And the day-to-day of it, is pretty, I mean, I try to keep my schedule pretty consistent, but also don't become too predictable. And the day-to-day can get a little monotonous because it's a lot of walk in the same hallways, seeing the same kids, seeing the same people. But every day that I'm there, I'm constantly trying to figure out a way that if something comes up, how can I help? And that's run from lockdowns to guns on campus to medical emergencies, uh, to just, I'm having a bad day and I just want to talk. I don't really have anybody I could talk to. I live with my grandma. My mom is strung out on drugs. My dad is gone, like non-existent. I don't even know him. And I just sit there and listen. And if I can just listen, let them, you know, kind of vent. And then I can offer maybe my perspective or some guidance and then let them know that I'm here as a resource for them. If they need something, they can always come find me and, and we can talk. And if I can help them in some other way, yeah. you know, whether it's connecting with community resources, with uh, a job interview, 
with if they need food at home and they need, uh, you know, something from the food pantry or they need clothes or whatever they need. I'll, I'll connect them with it. That's part of the resource part of our SRO. So one of the things that I want to know is, uh, or I shouldn't even say that I want to know. I already know it. Yeah. But um, that I want the people to know is, let's say, th- th- like this is something that y'all pay attention to and I've seen y'all do is we've got a vehicle pursuit. Yeah. And it's, it's heading towards school. School's going to be getting out in 20 minutes. Yeah. Y'all close the school down. Oh yeah. You'll put it on lockdown. We have certain defensive postures, not just lockdown that we can go into. We've got hold, we've got secure, we've got lockdown, we've got shelter. And these are all codified as part of the standard response protocol that's been developed. And whatever we need to do, we try to be, I, I always try to be proactive. And every SRO I've ever trained, I try to tell them, be proactive. Get in front of something. Try not to be behind the curve. Try to be in front of it. If you hear something's coming your way, alert people. Let them know, hey, we made you do alternate um, our you know schedule for release today. We made you to do some kind of supervised relief. Or maybe in a hold. We may be in a secure. We may be in a lockdown, depending on what it is. Yeah. So, yeah, we we try to be proactive. Um, I've tried to monitor the patrol channel that I'm on and the school channel. Um, But a lot of times you're just by yourself. Yeah. But you're doing whatever you can do to, you know, proactively protect the campus. Yeah. So one of the things that I want people to understand and, and take note of is the fact that they're not just sitting in a school. And, oh, yeah. and not monitoring the radios or yeah. anything like that. They're very actively aware of what's going on in their area. Yeah. Um, so if you are a agency out there or a school or whatever, like these are the types of standards you need to hold your SROs to. For sure. So they need to be in one of the, like you, you started to allude to it a little bit is you start seeing the same kids every day. You start doing that job day yeah. after day, year after year, just depends on how long you're in, in the gig. Yeah. And we know school resource officers have been doing it for decades. You know, yeah. maybe they've been in the same spot. So one of the tricks is not getting complacent. So complacency is a killer, no pun intended. Sure. So complacency is a big thing. Um, monitor the radio. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you is, how often do y'all find stuff that never w- makes the media that would shock the hell out of parents? I'd say it really depends on what you're defining as would shock. But I think a lot of parents, they may not be intentionally naive to what their kids are doing, but we see a lot of what your kids are doing. Um, me personally, I'm the lead investigator for all of our online threats. So I see a lot of behavior happening on social media that parents, though they think they may be monitoring it, they probably don't know about it. So what you're telling me is SROs actively check out social media. Yeah. So that's another I mean, thing I think a lot of people wouldn't have if you're If you're good at it, yeah. I spent some time, I remember when I first got over to the school unit, I didn't want to do that aspect of the job. I thought, I'm just going to be here in the campus I don't think I need to be on social media. Social media wasn't as big then. It was like 2013. Um, but I remember, do you know what TikTok was called before it was TikTok? It's called Music Alley. And I remember being an SRO. Never knew that. 
in 2017, when I just got back off injury, I was a rover. And I think being a rover is a very, I think it's a very beneficial part. So what is a rover? So a rover is somebody that doesn't have an assigned school. You're like a sub. Your job is to go to a different school practically every day. You might be put somewhere long-term for like a month if somebody's out on like medical or something. But your job is to go to a different school every day and just fill in, you know, because we have call-offs, we have staffing levels we have to meet. So what I did as a rover is I would just show up and I would be like, hey, I'm your SRO today. Your regular guy isn't here. Here's my phone number. Um, do you have a radio and do you have an office? Can I get blood into those and get the radio? And I'm here. Call me if you need me. I'll be around. Uh, I'm going to make myself highly visible. I'll be at all the lunches. I'm going to get your passing period schedule. And I'm just going to fill in. And that's all you do. You're the sub. Yeah. Um, so I remember being at a middle school, uh, up in the North in the city we work in and hearing these girls drama. And this is kind of the first thing uh, I think I'd been back like a month off that injury. And I remember hearing their drama and they were talking about all these things, all these videos they were posting on this app called music alley. And I was like, what is this app? And they're like, Oh, it's like, it's like Facebook. And I'm like, what do you mean it's like Facebook? Because Facebook didn't have videos then. It didn't have, it was just yeah. scroll your feed and that was it. It was pictures and, and comments. I was like, what do you mean? It was like, well, it's all videos. That's all it is. It's all videos, but it's like Facebook. Come on. Like, what is it? Is it YouTube? Like, no, it's, it's social media. And I, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. But there was this big bullying thing going on between them. So talk to the girls about it. It was middle school drama. It wasn't anything big. But it was this thing where I realized that I think that was the first time that I realized if you're dealing with bullying, it doesn't stop when school's over. Right. It Different continues. when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was kind of big, was a break. A big slap in the face yeah. to say, Hey, when this girl gets home, she's continually getting harassed because she's, she's active on this social media platform, which can be a very positive, beneficial thing. You know, you can get a lot out of it. You can get interconnectivity with your friends. You can share and support causes that are important to you. You can interact with people and get new perspectives and, and see how other people live. But there's also this thing where it's a window into like anybody can harass you at any time. Yeah. Anybody can send you messages. Anybody can send you uh, posts. You can post things and post stuff on your story or, or make, you know, go, go live on their feed or whatever. There's a lot of ways that can follow you home. And I started to see the negative impacts of social media. And I decided, you know, I probably need to know more about this. I know my, my dad was in computers I think I can figure this out. So I started doing my research. I started figuring out um, how Facebook works, how Instagram works, uh, this thing, Musical.ly. It was pretty, it was was tiny compared to things like Snapchat, Instagram. I think uh, Periscope was around then. There's a couple others. Vine was still big. Yeah. Yeah. I love Vine. Vine. Good old Vine. Yeah. Um, And I remember, I remember thinking like, man, there's so many platforms that's coming up you know, I, I need to locate the big ones and I need to get some training on it. So after about a year of being self-taught, uh, we had some training come up where it was like social media investigations or social media awareness or something like that, that, um, I asked to go to. And they were like, do you really need this? I'm like, yeah, it's about, it's like the district is sending some people. Those the district in the city we work in. They're sending some people I think we should go too. And so I got sent. I think another SRO got sent and I just grabbed onto it. And I was like, this is, this is a hundred percent like the wave of the way things are going to be now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not calling somebody's house anymore and being like, Hey, is so-and-so home? It's, I have a direct connection to them. via the Everybody's got cell phones now. Everybody's, 
got social media accounts and yeah. there's more and more coming up. And I got that training and I realized it needed to go, I needed to get more and I needed to figure out how to do it, yeah. how to, how to, how to investigate and monitor these things from an open source perspective. We're not the NSA. We're not listening to everything going on. We're not breaking into your accounts. We're just seeing what's openly available. And knowing that all this data was there, that all this open source material existed and could be used to monitor. And I'm, I don't want people to think that we're, we're watching big brother, you know, type of thing. But if I can get wind of something going on, like if I see somebody's post, you know, go live and they're talking about how they're going to beat somebody up, then I can think, okay, I need to talk to them tomorrow. It's like, as soon as I get to school. Yeah. And then find out if something happened because it might be, you know, might've happened in the neighborhood, but it's going to spill over to school. And being proactive is getting in front of whatever is going to be happening has always been beneficial yeah. for everything that I've experienced. When I'm having to play catch up, I don't like it. Okay. And there's, there's a lot of times I get called in and I'm, you know, behind and like, this was posted an hour ago. They said they're going to shoot up the school at this time. You got like an hour. What are we doing? Yeah. You know, how can, how can we, how can we work that? So what I'm hearing from you is that if you're going to be an SRO, Social media investigation needs to be a pivotal part of yeah. your job. You need to be at least familiar with it. You need to be at least familiar enough to to navigate. And I because it is it's it's as it is as central to our social communication as it used to be. You know, you had neighborhoods when we would patrol them, and you have the corner store, and you'd have the meetup spot, and yeah. you have the parking lot or wherever wherever the people would go congregate. Now everybody's congregating online. And I would say that it's not just a big city problem. No. This is going to be a, everybody. This is a universal This is, yeah. This, issue. Is, the, this yeah. is the thing. So um, I'm trying to, trying to help improve things. And if uh, one of the things I've learned about doing this show, which is kind of funny, you'll, you may appreciate this. My whole point was to set out and educate the public. Yeah. I was like, I want them to see perspectives from not just cops, but firefighters and ambulance yeah. drivers and nurses and teachers and, you know, every prosecutors, mayors, judges, whatever I could get that was, I thought was a, a frontliner when it comes to, you know, making the community better. Yeah. And, um, and then the other side, I wanted, you know, community leaders that maybe not so cop friendly and, and people that like I had a guy that had been wrongly convicted um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and stuff like that. So I was trying to, that's where I was trying to bridge the gap, but I thought the primary the the primary bulk of the people that I'd be educating would be the public. Yeah. And it turns out it's actually been the opposite. I have been educating and getting more feedback from other cops. Yeah. That are like, holy shit, like I never knew that about SWAT or holy shit. I never knew that about real time crime center. Or I didn't, you know, like they're learning stuff from the officers and stuff that I've yeah. on here. So I have a feeling that with the school resource officer stuff, yeah, us in a big city who are well-funded, taken care of, have citizen support. Yeah. I mean, we're living the dream. We really are. We really are. We have. We probably have it the best of anywhere in the nation. And I, yeah, I'll 100% say that. Uh, and if you think your city has it better than us, I'll fight you. Like, Please come tell us. Come how. tell, yeah. Because we how. can tell you all the ways that we have <laughs> it really good. Yeah. And then we can compare those. Yeah. Um, so um, with that being said... 
I want people to understand when they're listening to this, that like as much as I, this is going to be one of those ones, I think is going to be split. I think we're going to be telling school resource officers across the nation that, um, I'm not saying my show's that big guys. Um, but School resource officers from smaller towns, yeah, maybe be able to pick up some things from what you tell, yeah. And then I think we're gonna a lot of parents and stuff that are out there that maybe even other cops that our parents are gonna be like, you know, we make fun of school resource officers like, oh, you give up on being a cop? You know the old jokes. I mean, I get to ride a skateboard around the hall sometimes. Hey, I mean, and I get to do the, you know, like, think, what's up, guys? I don't How's it going? Think you need to ride a skateboard with no. your TBI? So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. Uh, you need to settle down. But um, yeah, and I, I think, like I said, I think we're going to be able to educate other cops, especially on the potential of a SRO. Oh yeah, it's huge because so, your kids in your school are going to be tomorrow's victims. They're going to be tomorrow's witnesses. They're going to be tomorrow's suspects. Yes. And if you can get to know them maybe you can nip something in the bud yeah and that's that's been my biggest push when i worked at a school that had a lot of violence and i was there for i was there for a couple years and i saw and i tried to i poured a lot of attention into diverting gang membership gang behaviors gang intervention i poured a lot of time and effort into that because i was seeing kids that i had known when they were in ninth grade as this you know cute little kid comes in from, you know, eighth grade, you know, they're still, they're, they're a kid. Yeah. And they grow into a young person, a young adult. Now I'm hearing that they got no shooting over the weekend and they, you know, they, they shot somebody or they got shot and I'm visiting them in the hospital. I'm like, man, I remember when you were just 14 and you were just, you're just a knucklehead. But now you're like a gun carrying gang member. What happened? How, how could, how could I have helped more? How could I have helped better? What could I have done? And they're like, eh, I didn't get a lot of good feedback. I got a lot of like, eh, I don't know. Um, but I try to always think about like, if there's a kid that in ninth grade comes in, cause I work at a high school, there's a kid that comes in at ninth grade. And I know he's a kid that he's had a lot of disciplinary history. He's had attendance problems. I try to figure out what's going on at home. How is he not getting the support he needs to be successful is you know, mom or dad just stressed out. Do they not know what to do with him? Does he not have a focus? Does he need a focus? Is there something that we can get him into? Does he have support? Does he have uh, supervision? You know? Yeah. A lot of times you get single parent that yeah. works and they can yeah. only work while he's home alone. Yeah. And that's, and that's where, you know, coming in as a resource, I can say, Hey man, have you ever heard about the uh, athletic league? Or have you gone out for football? Let me talk to, uh, you know what? I know coach. Let's go talk to coach. I think you'd be good at football. Well, I don't have the money. Don't worry about it. We're going to figure out a way. They got scholarships. If I need to go in my own pocket, if you, you're you going to put in the work and I need to go in my own pocket and buy you whatever, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that. And it's those things that I think that that's where you have the most chance of success. Because if you get a kid that's a senior in high school, but they've only got enough credits to be a freshman and they're kind of set in their ways. I have not had a lot of success yeah. diverting them from the path they're on. And the year after I left the school that I was at and I went to the school that I'm at now, I found out one of my kids, um, he got shot and killed over the summer. He just graduated. He had, he had worked really hard to graduate. I think it took him five years. But he had just graduated 
but he got shot and killed. And I think about, you know, what happened. And I was always telling him, Hey man, you got to make better decisions. You got to stop being in these hallways so much. You got to put forth some effort. You got to do this. You got to do that. What's going on? How can I help you? How can I, and he would just give me a lot of static. He'd give me a lot of like, Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm going to, and he, he graduated. Yeah. But he's not here. Yeah. So, so some of the stuff that we're talking about gangs and I know to some people that listen to this, they're not in the same types of cities we're in. They're not in very heavily populated areas. They're going to be like, what the fuck? Like, are you for real? Like you guys are going around, they're gang members, they're carrying guns, all this stuff. It's not the Crips and the Bloods anymore. Right. It's not uh, red and blue. It's not overt uh, gangs anymore. They're like, they're loose knit criminal organizations that have spontaneous groups that pop up. You might have like 15 guys that all know each other. If you put them on a, like a board, like, you know, the FBI does, like you see in criminal minds where, you know, they got the one guy at the top and then they got the, yeah. And then they got the, you know, the two lieutenants and then here's the crew. Yeah. It's not like that. Um, you might have informal leaders. Um, you might have guys that claim OG and this and that, but it's a lot of loosely connected people that know each other that decide they're going to do some kind of criminal activity. A lot of times motivated by need. A lot of times motivated by need. Um, the fact that they just don't have what they want. And that's, you know, that's the greed side of it is like, you've got everything you need, but you know, you, you just want stuff that you don't have and you can't, you haven't figured out that work will get it for you or you feel like it's been unfair or maybe it has been unfair. And, you know, you got dealt a shitty hand in life and you're playing, you know, you're fighting an uphill battle to do good in school or to get the support you need. And it's not your fault. And what I would like to do is when I find kids that are getting into that, that gang membership, they're starting to claim something, you know, um, they're starting to claim a, a click or a set or something like that. I try to divert them and say, Hey man, here's what's going to happen. If you continue down this path, you're going to end up dead or in prison. And I don't want either of those for you. And I don't think future you wants that either. I think that if you were to go into the future and talk to yourself either dead or either in prison, they would say, I wish I would have made better choices. Or I wish I would have made different choices. And I, your situation is what it is. But you have a choice. You can choose to go hang out with your friends and get in trouble. Or you can choose to do better. To do, to do something different, to know when, yeah, hanging out with my friends is fine, but when they say they want to break into a house, time to leave. Or when they say, hey, we're going to go rob this dude, time to leave. Time to get away from that and maybe be smarter about hanging with them in the future. But it's complicated. Yeah, and it's, it's hard. It's extremely it's nuanced, hard. multifaceted, and it's, yeah, and, and I never tell them it's going to be easy. I always tell them. Being a kid who was in that position. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. I remember the peer pressure. Yeah. Um, shoot, I remember stealing from the convenience store as a kid. Yeah. Like, from peer pressure. Like, Levine, go in there. Like, get us candy bar. Yeah. Okay. I got you. Yeah. You no, know, so that didn't even second thought. Yeah. Because that was your support structure. Idiot. That's who you looked yeah. to. And those are the people that you value. Yeah. You didn't value... Um, that this guy that owns the convenience store has a right to his property and he's in a business and he's trying to, you know, provide something to the community. Your values were set on. These are my people. 
These are, this is who I hang with. These are the people that, that matter to me. I don't care about that convenience store guy. I don't care about the fact that it could be against the law. I care about them. Now, luckily, my mom was on point. She saw me come home with something. Yeah. I was like, you ain't got no fucking money. Yeah. Where'd you get it? Interrogated my ass. Mm-hmm. Made me go back to the store. Yeah. She whooped my ass before I went. <laughs> my uh my nine-year-old son he did that one time from walmart he uh it was like it was like a stuffed animal or something mm-hmm. and he put it in what he kept it with him up, up until the register and then he slyly like slid it into one of the bags oh so there's a little got tension behind it. yeah and got home and my wife found it and she's like i told you to put that back we didn't pay for that and he's like oh, oh, oh I, uh, I i guess it just somehow got in there and she, you know, did the same thing. She yeah. grilled him and he came clean on it. And I, I took him back to that store and we stood in line and I said, my son stole this. He needs to return it to you, but he's going to tell you that. And he had to walk up and, and tell them that. And I don't think he ever forgot it because he hasn't stolen anything again. But having that support, having that somebody hold them accountable is what's important is that's the missing piece. You got to have somebody holding them accountable. And I get uh, raising kids is hard. I mean, it's it's tough. It is not a uh, a part time activity. It is a full time responsibility, and that's what they need. They they need that. They need somebody holding them accountable. They need somebody teaching them and showing them better, because otherwise they're just going to be ruled by whatever impulse comes across. Because they're kids. So one of the other things that y'all do that I, I, I want to get to that. It makes me mad, but at the same time, it's nobody else's business. Yeah. It's one of those things. I have, I've seen the calls where y'all find guns, where y'all yeah. find drugs, you find knives, you find um, whatever. You find, you know, um, plans. You find plans on social media. I've seen these yeah. on, on a, a regular basis. I mean, I'm not, this isn't a rarity. This is something that happens. Oh, no, it's it's almost a daily thing quite, in a city as large as ours. Right. That happens quite often. You don't hear about that stuff in the media. And and like I said, it's one of those things like I don't think it's anybody's business. But in light of the thing like with Uvalde and, and what's going on, I want to instill some level of confidence because of just all the rumor mills and stuff that's going on of it, like – this is a one-off. This is one of those freak things that happens, a perfect storm of shitty situations, and yeah. it went wrong. So, you know, it doesn't matter how it went wrong, in my opinion. Learn from it, grow from it, train from it. That's, that's what we can do from here on out. Um, but it certainly is definitely nobody's intentions for anybody to die. So, but all what you don't understand is guys like you, SROs, that have great training and have great resources. And this stuff happens a lot. Yeah. that There's prevention a lot. Oh, yeah. Because the money and the training is poured into guys that do this type of job. So the defund, the, well, these guys just got training and look what happened. Like, look, you need to understand, like, the, there's, there's levels. You go to a small department that yeah, they got 40 hour training. It doesn't make them experts and they don't practice the same way because nothing really ever happens. Plus in a small department, you're doing a lot of things that in us, we have specialized units for. 
Right. So you get specialized training. That's when you go point. to robbery, yes. you become a robbery detective. That, yes. You get specialized training on investigating robberies. Yes. When you go to crimes against children, you get specialty training on investigating crimes against children. You get your, you kind of cut your teeth in patrol. You get experience. You get a lot of different things happening. You learn how to work domestics, car crashes, shootings, thefts, disturbances. Jack of you all, le- master of none. Yeah. yeah. You, you learn how to do everything. But you're not a specialist. Yes. But in a small department, they may not have a robbery detective. They may just have a couple of detectives. Mm-hmm. And so you're expected to do more. You're expected to interview witnesses, interview suspects, interview uh, victims, and be sensitive to that and how you do it. And collect evidence. You know, they may not have a crime scene unit. You may be the one collecting shell casings. And you got to make sure you do it right. So I think that the burden is a lot harder to shoulder in these smaller departments because you're expected to do more with less. Yes. And that's very difficult. Yes. It's very difficult. Um, Active shooter. Yeah. So I already know the answer to this, but I want other people to know the answer to this. Uh, How much training do you get in active shooter as a school resource officer? I'm going to say not enough. Okay. Because... I, w- I just want more training. I always want more. I'm, I'm a training nut. I think that if we, if, if, if all things were perfect, we would train probably 20% of the time we're working. I, that means, you know, of the 40 hours we work a week, eight of it, we spend on training. We would be, we would be training every day or we would have a, a full day out of our work week dedicated to training. And that would elevate our skill set above and beyond what we have now but we just can't no i I think i think cops i think all cops okay um but the training that we get we we do it yearly um but on top of that i was trained um always play the what if game always play the what if game always think about where is where do i have vulnerabilities where do i have spots that I know something could come up. You know, what if somebody comes in this hallway? Is this door locked? How is it locked? What if somebody gets let in? What if, you know, we have a a fire? How how are we going to get people out? What if uh, a kid has a gun in this classroom or this classroom or the library or this classroom with all these windows? How are we going to address that? And I got to say, getting a few days, maybe a full week of active shooter response training once a year while it does brush, help us brush up on our skills. Um, if we could do it once a month, it'd be even better. If we could have training days once a month, it'd be even better. If we could have it once a week, it'd be even better. I mean, there's a reason that the most elite units in our military and our police, when there's downtime, they get time to train. Yes. That is what they're expected to do. They're expected to be ready for the most difficult and terrible situations at and above the highest level all the time. And to do that and to maintain these perishable skills, things like shooting, moving, working as a team, uh, being able to communicate and read and have intuition about what the situation is going to be and what the response is and just know it and not have to think, but just do it. So you can think about other stuff. You can think about improving your fighting position, uh, improving your response, uh, responding to rapidly uh, changing circumstances is hugely important. Yeah. 
Um, so with your, your active shooter training, one of the things that we do that's very popular is called alert training. Yeah. Um, that's one thing y'all do. So can you explain what alert training is and then to the level? Cause like me, I'm like level one alert train. Yeah. Like there's, I know there's multiple levels to it and whatnot, but I want to instill confidence in, in people. We know that Columbine, um, that flipped the script yeah. for school resources, for officers in general. It used to be, um, contain them, contain them, call SWAT and, and call SWAT and figure out, you know, what the hell you got going on and start to try to get communication. And if that doesn't work, then you, you go in. Yeah. And we learned that real quickly that active shooter is um, get the hell in there and it doesn't matter if you're you know the officer that's driving by in his car a uh, personal car and you're in your underwear and all you got's a gun and you hear the call go out you gotta go yeah and you're the dude that goes yeah um so alert training help me explain to people what is alert training yeah so alert training i can't remember what the acronym stands for but it's basically active or shooter response um, it's training the idea that if an active shooter is happening, if there's active killing going on, this doesn't count if you have like a barricaded hostage taker, you know, um, but if there's an active violent scene happening. So there's, there's a difference. There's a there's separation a between a barricaded person with hostages versus yeah. somebody actively shooting. I think that probably one of the court ethos ideas of active shooter response is that you're driven by gunfire. If gunfire is happening, you're actively moving towards it and you're going to neutralize the threat. That's, that's the central response model. How you do that, that's where they teach you the tactics. The strategy is go towards the gunfire, neutralize the threat. The tactics behind that is what you're trained in in alert. And the idea is, is that you, if you're solo and you feel confident that you can go in solo, fine. If you're the first one there, go. If you're not, then form a team, wait for a team, get in there because you probably have a higher success rate. And that depends on everybody's skill set. I think for me, having, having responded to threats where there's a person with a gun on campus, where there hasn't been active gunfire, but there's been an active threat for me, I'm fine with going in solo. I have gear, I have training, I have a lot of experience. I'm 100% okay with going up to the door and saying, calling on the radio and saying, I'm making entry at this location. I'm clearing this hallway. And knowing the layouts of the schools in your area is very important. We visit all of the schools in our pyramid and some that are even outside of our pyramid. We have these things called pyramids where like elementary schools feed into middle schools, middle schools feed into high schools. And that's oh. our pyramid. As a high school officer, I cover everything in my pyramid. So we have officers at the uh, middle schools and then we have um, we don't have officers at the elementary schools full time, but we check on them routinely and we maintain an open, you know, flow of communication. If they need us to come out for anything, we do. We make proactive, active efforts to be there. If we can be there at uh, dismissal and arrival times, um, to be present and active. Um, if we need to respond for any law enforcement, you know, need or if there's a threat to the campus, we'll go. But we're not there. We're not physically there during the day. Or physically at the high schools, at the middle schools, because those just have a, a much greater, uh, much greater need, and a lot more activity that we we can be a benefit to. 
So we cover everything in our pyramid and having responded to things that have happened, whether it's, you know, a, a shot fired and we have to go to lockdown and I have to track it down and figure out what it is, whether it was a gunshot or not. Somebody thought it was a gunshot and we had a, we had a lockdown, whether it's a social media threat where a kid's posting a picture of a gun in a backpack saying, I'm going to shoot this place up and don't anybody stop me. Um, or it's, you know, somebody saw a gun on a person, they went into lockdown and I got to get in there and find it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm confident that I'm going to go to that door cause I've done it. I'm going to grab my stuff. I'm going to go, I'm going to find it and I'm going to neutralize it or die trying. And you know, if, if somebody's showing up within 10 seconds of me going in the door, if I see them pulling up, I'll wait because I know that my chances of success just go up, but you're always going to be driven towards that gunfire. And that's what we teach in alert is the tactics of active shooter response. What are the best methods that we've learned from through military tactics, through police tactics of actively getting into a gunfight or actively seeking and neutralizing a threat, which is somebody actively killing people with gunfire or a knife or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we've, covered what alert training is and that that is i think it's very beneficial when we actually go through alert training because i've been through it a few times actually yeah um you're we're shooting sim rounds at each other we're, yeah, it's paintball basically yeah so it, it looks like a bullet it's got a little paint cartridge at the top of it they hurt a lot worse than a paintball as a person they're moving pretty played, fast yeah, i'm a sim munitions instructor and it it yeah. they're moving about 500 feet per second yeah. And uh, they sting quite yeah. a bit. And we're using guns that look just oh, yeah, like no, the real thing. They operate exactly like real guns do. They're, they have cartridges. Uh, they have projectiles. They have powder. Um, or they, I think they don't even have powder. They think they just have a primer. But it's enough to propel. The, the system is designed, whether it's a conversion kit or a dedicated gun, uh, the system is designed to propel that projectile in an accurate, safe training environment. Now, you still don't want to get shot in the eye with one. Right. But, you know, if you get hit with bare skin at a foot, it's you know, gonna it's not going to kill you. It's not going to go in, but it's, um, like, it's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. Though. Yeah. And that, that type of thing, um, that, that pain that you get when you do something wrong, yeah. it's corrective. Yes. It is big time corrective. Because <laughs> yes, I remember the first time that uh, I got shot with sim rounds, you know, in the academy, we're doing our patrol procedures, officer survival, whatever we call it now. Um, I remember, man, that really hurt. I'm never going to do that again because that was a bullet that could have ripped through me. Yeah. I'm never going to peak an angle like that again. I'm never going to be complacent about that again. And I think that if we do that training often enough and you keep, I would rather get hit with 10,000 sim rounds than one bullet. And if I can learn and sharpen my skills to be a better, more effective, um, combatant, because at that point, I mean, it's, it's combat. We're, we're actively seeking and neutralizing a threat. It is a, it is a capture neutralize mission and it is no longer a, you know, uh, keep the peace, you know, be friendly. It is a, we have to, we have to step into kind of the warrior side of our guardian profession and we have to aggressively with speed, violence of action, aggression, pursue and neutralize that threat because that threat is actively killing people. And one of the things I like about our alert training at our department, and this is going to be different every department we go to, yeah, um, is that we do it each year at a different school 
Yeah. And you don't know what the school is going to be. And I'm not, a, I'm not an SRO. So when I'm doing it, I am, I don't know the layout of the land. Yeah. So when you go in and, you know, you, you sit through, you go through your briefing, you go through all your safety stuff and whatnot, you're responding and you don't know the layout. You don't know what the hell's going on. And that's very realistic. You know, um, for an SRO, a little bit different. You guys know the layout of your school. We know the layout of all the schools. If we're doing our oh, job okay. effectively, we're supposed to know the layout of all the schools in our area. Oh. Because we're going to be expected to respond to any of them. Okay. So cool. we try to visit. I try to visit. And I've been doing this for long enough now that I know the layout of every school, probably every school that I've worked at. Yeah. So you um, would be a great first yeah. on-scene commander uh, until, you know, SWAT or the big dogs get there if, if it gets that far. Yeah. But if patrol officers are showing up, if an SRO has done his job properly over the time that he's done They it, should probably be the one directing resources because they're going to be the ones, even if they're not the SRO for that campus in the area, if... We have on top of um, the knowledge that we have of how the layout is, we also have response plans already built. These are pre-built. We have command post locations. We have uh, staging areas. We have reunification areas. We've got um, assessment areas. We've got medical traffic plans put into place, and they're all available on our, um, on our computers. Now, what's your opinion with your experience of a small city a small department having that same stuff. Is that feasible? Yeah, I think it is. I think it takes some groundwork, but it's as simple as getting a floor plan of your school of taking photos of all the entrance exits and hallways, which takes a day, um, maybe less, maybe it might take you an hour. <sighs> getting that all put in together in a document called your response plan document mm-hmm. and then distributing it or having it available somewhere on a server, an email link, something like that. In today's technology, you can probably have it on your smartphone. Okay. Um, I've, there's apps that different districts have used that have all this stuff available. It's not hard. It just takes a little time and effort. And I think at this point, this is going to be a, a standard expectation that police departments have this for their most vulnerable areas. Yeah. It's just like when you have a, a mall on your beat. If it's in your geographic subdivision of responsibility for law enforcement, I think that especially if it's one of these vulnerable areas, whether it's a school, if it's a church, if it's a mosque, if it's a community center, if it's a mall, hospitals. If it's a place where people, yeah, hospitals, if it's a place where people gather and it's part of either um, community services, critical infrastructure, or um, just anywhere where people are, a lot of people are going to be, that means it's the target. Yeah. And I mean, you may get a shooting down at the gas station. Okay. But I doubt that that's going to be, have as much potential to be a mass casualty incident as an elementary school or a church or a mall is going to have. So like I said, I'm a big fan of being proactive. If you can have a response plan already developed and everybody up to speed on it, if you say, Hey, you know, you're a small department, you say, hey, we've got three people on staff today, and plus your supervisor. Um, just a reminder that everybody, you know, is, you're working a different beat, but go ahead and review your safety plan for whatever schools are on your beat today. You know, do that before you get out there if you have time or if you have time in between calls. You know, instead of doing preventive patrol, set yourself up to be preventative from a parked position. Get on your laptop, maintain such relational awareness, 
but get on your laptop and just review your safety plan. Or maybe even go out and just go to the campus. Go in, check in at the front. Tell them, hey, I'm just here to be present. I'm doing some patrol. Uh, I'd like to walk the hallways. And I'm pretty sure that they'll have more than enough time to either escort you and show you the lay of the land or just say, yeah, sure, here you go. Um, If you go to an elementary school, your hand is going to hurt because you're going to give a lot of high fives. Yeah. (laughs) Which is good. So bring stickers if you have them or erasers or pencils or whatever you got. Um, If you go to a middle school, you're probably going to get a lot of surly looks. If you go to high school, you're going to get a lot of of questions. Yeah, Kids are going to want to talk to you because you've got kids at that age, you know, some of those kids can vote. Some of those kids are 18. They can buy firearms. You know, um, they're going to have questions about the career. Or maybe they're going to be the one that is going to be the future community leader that might hold you accountable one day if somebody or you screw up. And having that rapport and talking with them, letting them get to know you and being a being a positive, making a positive deposit. Yeah. Goes a long way in the future towards either setting up a good relationship with them, with the police in the future to understand that as guardians, our mission is very focused to keep the peace and force the law that, yeah, sometimes we make mistakes, but ultimately I don't know a cop that showed up to work saying, I mean, I really want to shoot somebody today. Right. If they did and they articulated anything of the sort, I'd be the first one to say, Hey buddy, I don't think you need to go out today. Let's talk to Sarge. Yeah. Let's, let's go. Uh, and are I you okay? I, What's going on? Did you just leave your yeah. wife? Did your wife leave you? One of the things I like week? to point about, on? point out about that yeah. for guys like us is the, the type of department we work at. We are more prone to be that officer. We're going, I, uh, give me a second. <laughs> the officer that calls them out. Yeah. We're going to hold each other a lot more accountable Yeah, because we have a we have it great. We've got what we what we need. We have a very strong support structure. We, we have a great support structure. We have great training. We have funding. We've got we get paid amazing. There's really no excuse. Yeah. So you have no excuse. So you're going, I'm not gonna let you fuck it up for me. Yeah. And I sure should hope you would do the same. You know, yeah. so we tend to do that. So the I've I've explained on here a few times. Um, I have a thin blue line flag behind. And I try to tell people like it, it it isn't what the media makes it out to be. Yeah. The thin blue line to me, and this is the difference. If you were Joe Blow Citizen that worked, you know, for uh, Dunder Mifflin, uh, a paper factory, yeah. and you die, and they're going to throw a lunch in for you. There's going to be a couple people that, you know, come, you know, is there anything I can do? He's such a great guy, you know, da da yeah. da da But uh, it, that's going to end after about a year, I, I would say. And that, that's not all, but generalization. Most of that's probably going to end after a year or two. The thin blue line is different. If you die and we're at the same department, we don't even, like you and I, we've never really worked together. Yeah. But I can guarantee that if you were to fall on duty, not just me, but everybody that's ever worked around you, from now until the time that your kids are full grown adults and in, in work and they have kids, there's going to be somebody that's checking oh, yeah. on you and making sure you're okay. That's the thin blue line. That's us looking out for each other. And that's the way I see it. So, um, I, I don't apologize for my thin blue line flag, although I do plan to change it out. I'm trying to get a flag from a base, a military base. Yeah. And I want to put, um, 
uh, uh, base flag up there, American flag. So that's that's my goal because um, it's a cheap, cheesy Chinese flag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no offense, um, but uh, yeah, I want to I want to get a nice flag up there. But um, so that's the thing blue line to me. Um, and the point that I was trying to get to um, is with the fact that, you know, we go out there and we put ourselves in front of everybody, you know, we put ourselves out there in front. Yeah. And I think we're more willing to do that because of the support. Yeah. Now, if you come from a place that they're like, defund the police, do this, do that. Maybe, maybe you're not going to get the same type of response. You're going to get a delayed, a hesitant response. And it's not, Oh, you cut out again. Yeah. What is going on with my mic guys? There you go. Yeah. When you tap on it, do it again. Nope, you're not coming through. What? Give it a little move. There it goes. There yep. we go. It's probably a bad connection. Yeah, push the... Uh, there, there we go. go. Move yeah. like a Did it click? half a centimeter. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, that might have been what it was. That might have been it. So, um, what was I talking about? They got me confused. You're talking to a guy with short-term memory problems. Yeah, uh, I, I was really talking about um, getting support. Oh, oh, hesitation. Yeah. Um, We've learned in police work that... There's a lot of things that can cause hesitation and hesitation when it comes to support. If am I going to get fired for the next move that I make? Yeah. That is dangerous. Especially if you don't have uh, the protections that we have. Correct. Yes. Legal protections. Yes. Uh, Qualified Uh, immunity. It is stuff like uh, that. It is a two way street though. Mm -hmm. I think that it protects us when we have to speak out because the only things I've ever gotten in trouble for was well, once I did something really, and it was kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> but the things that I've, I think I've gotten in trouble for, or have, you know, gotten more of the, uh, you get an abrasive, you know, culture shock kind of thing is when you speak out and you say, that's not right. And we're not going to do it. I think that that's been the experience that I've had more than screwing up. Like, okay, yeah, I got in a wreck. You know, I, I wrecked a patrol car one time. It was yeah. dumb. It was a mistake. Who hasn't? <laughs> kind of the cost of doing business. Yeah. You know, we're driving a lot. Um, and you're the learning. Odds are that I, we're gonna... Did it happen in your zero to five years? Yeah. 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 It happened like yeah. uh, my fourth year. Yeah. yeah. I try to tell everybody that like your zero to five year mark is the, it's the best and the worst fucking time of your career. Your head's spinning the entire yeah. time. You really are. Because I'm great at talking to people. I'll brag about it right now. I've yeah. always been good at talking to people. However, when I first started becoming a cop, my ability to talk to people turned into mush. Was it kind of like, I don't know what to do with my hands? Yeah. Yeah. Because. Because you're trying to do so much. I'm not thinking about talking to you. I'm thinking about, do I have probable cause to stop and detain this person? Yeah. If, if, if I try to put cuffs on them, am I allowed to? Am I violating their civil rights? Am yeah. I doing like The consequences it, are real big if yeah. you do that. And, and then you're around your peers and like, am I coming across stupid? Like you're thinking about oh, so. Plus you have a training officer. Yeah. You know, they like is grading you yeah. every single day. So it, despite the fact that people are like, well, if you're good with people, then you should be good at the job. And like, yes, you are. Once you get past all the other things, just like any job. Yeah. You may be the greatest person at Seven Eleven, but it, you were probably awkward and weird when you first started. I don't yeah. care what you Because get. you were thinking about, how do I ring up two yeah. hot dogs and a big girl? <laughs> yeah. And now uh, he doesn't rather want. Rather than like, 
hey man how's it going yeah you doing good and now he good doesn't want you. the big gulp all of a sudden yeah, but he, he already want... poured it like what do i do <laughs> what do i do, do i can't how do i i mean do i charge him do i not charge him? i'm being oddly specific yeah. on this yeah I mean, it's happened I mean, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, you see people like yeah what i've what i've trained people you know you have you, a lot of times you have to tell them to relax you yeah. know which uh, works on women you know my wife i tell them it works on anybody like be I don't think relaxed. I think they, that that's probably like de-escalation no no. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't say calm down, don't <laughs> yeah. say relax. Um but telling them, hey, relax. You know, if you're not in a gunfight or a fist fight, you can probably slow down a little bit. And you can maybe ask some warm-up questions to get to know who you're talking to. Because when you get up, um, one thing I've I've learned to do is introduce myself. Yeah. When I show up, I don't just say, hey, what's going on? I now say, hi. I am. What's your name? Yeah. Make it personal. How can I help? Yeah. yeah. Establish that. Um, and if they just jump into, Oh, I'm really glad to hear blah, blah, blah. Then listen, active listening is a huge part of communication, but if you have the chance, make an introduction that way they know your name, you know, their name, you might already know their name. You might've had all the background, the, you might know they have a felony warrant. You might know all this stuff, but if you make a chance, to make an introduction, if you have the chance to make an introduction and get start that rapport building immediately when you walk up, you can really get people, not necessarily off guard, but you can make them feel uncomfortable. And feel can, comfortable. Yeah, make them, yeah. Yeah. Not make them feel uncomfortable, make them feel comfortable. <laughs> yes. And if you're dealing with a suspect, like if it's that guy that you know, you know he's got a felony warrant, you know he's going to jail today. But if you walk up to him and you just, you just, you know, hey man, how's it going? What's up? No, I, I got called here. Uh, what's your name? Oh, okay. Yeah, that was my name. Thanks for confirming that How you're are who you? I'm looking for on my yeah. warrant. <laughs> what's going on today? How are you, man? And then he may, he may, he may yeah. vent to you. Yeah. He may, he may get into, man, I'm having a real hard time because this and that and this and that. Just let him talk. You're paid by the hour. Just let him talk. Mm-hmm. Listen, active listening, and then maybe asking, you know, a follow up question or, or a little, you know, probing question here or there. Or so, how'd that make you feel? So, what's happening with that? What'd she do then? Man, that sucks. You know, that feedback type stuff. But there's calls holding. Yeah. Well, you know, there's there were calls holding before we got here. <laughs> yep. There's going to be calls holding when we leave. There's calls holding yeah. right now. Yeah. You know? Yep. Okay. We've talked about, I need to stop saying, I say so all the time. When I listen to myself edit my podcast, I'm like, stop saying fucking so. <laughs> I do it. Every time I transition. Yeah. Now everybody that's listening is going to know. Well, so, transitioning. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I wrote it down because we got to alert training. Yeah. We've, we've made it abundantly clear that there's a ton of shit that happens at schools on the daily. It, it either, they, they're thwarted. Yeah. They're, yeah. They, that's a good word. Thwarted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're stopped. They're, the SROs are doing their jobs out there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm trying to instill confidence in a time where confidence is low. Um, and I'm not going to say it's justifiably so, unjustifiably so. We don't know. We don't know. We don't, we don't know. have all the information so, yet. Um, with the unknowns out there, I want people to know what we have. So we've got alert training. We've got SROs that are out there actively checking social media. They're getting to know the students. They patrol. They learn the layout of the land. They've yeah. got um, plans in place for shit that's gonna, that could go down. They've yeah. got, you know, um, what was the word that you called it? Re, 
uh, reuniting. Re- reunification. Reunification. That's where um, you're, yeah, you're actively taking the survivors or the people that are, you know, whether they're walking wounded or whatever, you're, we're going to reunify them with their families. Yes. Um, and if you're dealing with kids, you know, you're dealing with minors, it's different than when you have like adults at the mall. You can't just like bring them to a parking lot and say, okay, bye. Like you're an adult, you can take care of yourself. These are people that are in our care and we have to get them back with their people, whether it's their family, guardians, caretakers, whoever. Okay, so the next side of the house that I want to talk about is physical security when it comes to yeah. schools, procedures, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't want to give away any company secrets that may sure. give some s- stupid asshole that's got plans to do dumb stuff, but um, physical security. Uh, what plans that are in place that you've seen do you think are the most optimal for preventing any type of mass shooting or anything like that when it comes to control of the school? I think it's multifaceted. Um, A big part of it is the people and a big part of it is the infrastructure and saying which one is more important. I think the infrastructure might edge it out just a tiny bit, but a single crack in the defensive stance, posture, mindset of the people will let the best infrastructure go to waste. Because if you have a place that's secure, but you have a person that, like, let's take Uvalde. We had this all this talk about the door being propped open. Right. If teachers aren't reminded that not to open doors and let people in, not complacency, to prop doors, stuff yeah, like complacency, that. complacency will get you. And the best infrastructure, you can have the strongest doors, you can have the most advanced electronic locks, you can have cameras, you can have everything. You can have vestibules, like... But if a person leaves a door open because they forgot about the seriousness of the fact that you're, you are a critical infrastructure of education in our community, it's all for none. So it's, like I said, it's multifaceted. Infrastructure, we can go on and on about the best way to build the school, the best way to make it you know, secure um, with electronic locks, with surveillance, with... Uh, not as many points of entry and exit with controlled entry and exit, but you have to have the people manning the building to all remember and not get complacent to remember how precious it is that we follow and stick with these, uh, rules and safeguards. Okay. So with that said, yeah. It in a perfect world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you've got plenty of experience. How many years have you been doing SRO stuff? Almost 10. Okay, so 10 years. Um, in your opinion, what do you consider must-haves to have the best fighting chance of stopping anything like a Uvalde or a outsider threat? Yeah. Insider threat is going to be really hard. Insider threat is tough. But it, outsider threat is pretty simple. Um, you need to have infrastructure that can, in a defensive posture, secure all external doors immediately, whether that's done electronically or you have people on standby, you have campus monitors, janitors, custodians, administrators that will can quickly move within like 10 seconds of an alert being called, whether it's a, a lockdown or it is a uh, secure, uh, what we call secure. Uh, you have to be able to keep people from getting into the outside. Okay. And that's all people all the time. And uh, now, does a school have to look like a prison to make this? Absolutely not. Okay. Because that's going to be a concern. It doesn't. It just and has to be able to have doors. Because we can get away from windows. 
you know, and you can't, you know, if a person wants to use a ladder, climb in a window, smash out a window, you know, but if you, if they can just walk in the front door, they're probably going to walk in the front door or the side door or wherever they, they see. Um, so I, I'd say that external security is going to be paramount. Um, and keeping everyone, like I said, it's multifaceted, keeping everyone mindful of the fact that these procedures are in place for a very precious reason. And that's the kids that we're here to educate and protect that are, they're people in our care that you can't become complacent that if we go to a secure or if we go to a lockdown, there needs to be a way to quickly, whether it's announcements, whether it's a button that you push that activates a computer system, whether it's a, uh, like a fire alarm and we've got fire alarms in all of our schools. We haven't had kids die from a fire in a long, long time because we, we practice fire drills. You remember fire drills yeah. when you were a kid? I remember tornado. We don't do lockdown I remember drills. nuclear fallout drills. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know if you had those, but <laughs> I did. Cover? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we, we, we drill this stuff and you know, lockdown is fine. I think we do, we do lockdown drills pretty consistently. We do, um, inclement weather drills, you know, like shelter in the hallways and things like that. Get away from windows. One thing we don't do enough, I think is, is secure drills, you know, let everyone know we're going to secure. And this gives the people that do the job, the campus monitors, SROs, administrators, custodians, gives them practice because without practice, we're not going to perform well. Um, it gives them a chance to practice that skill of, oh, I'm responsible for this hallway. I got to get there. They called lockdown or they called secure. I got to get there and I got to secure this door. Okay. So you go do it. You make sure you like, that's your area of responsibility. If we can defer that to an electronic system, you can pay a lot of money. You can make it electronic. I mean, it still has vulnerabilities. It still has deficiencies. It's not perfect. Um, yeah, that's great. You know, you can, you can do it with less people but it's still a system that needs to be tested and kept up to date and made sure that it's going to work. So in a perfect world, you've got money's no object and you're going to make the school that you're currently at, let's say. Yeah. What are you going to do for outsider threat? What is, what, what, how would you design it? What would you want done? External security, make, all the doors electronic, um, you know, pad access scanned in um, with secure RFID or encrypted vetting, whatever you need to do. Um, make sure you can secure doors, you know, doors that have windows. We've all, we've all worked burglaries, you know, you and I probably have, where you see somebody punch through some glass and then they can just open it from the inside. We need to make sure doors can be secured that way. Uh, you need to make sure that all traffic to and from the campus always checks in at the front door. So and one way in, one way out one type way thing? In, one way out, yep. You don't have people walking up through the teacher parking lot or student parking lot or coming through a back door thinking it's the front door. You design the building so that it points towards this is the one entrance. And then at that entrance, you have a secure vestibule where you can see people before they even come in. And once they come in, they can't even get to the office until they pass through a secure vestibule. Okay, and so then, they're basically in, in a no man's land, trapped. Yeah, once they've made they can, entry, they can leave out the front door, you know, right? But they can't come further into the school. It gives you that extra layer of security because if they get in, you know, maybe they're carrying a bag or they're carrying a concealed weapon, and they get in and 
the person that's letting him in to the front office for, you know, to be, to be greeted and vetted to visit the campus or pick up their kid or whatever it is. But if they, <laughs> if me. they, a lot of times changing from getting to the outside, you know, where you just like maybe have them on camera view or whatever, and they buzz in and you say, hi, you know, I'd like to see the front office about registration. Okay. Come on in. You let them in that. Once they get into that secure vestibule and they have a, a delay where you can maybe look at them visually. Yeah. And you can tell now a little bit more about body language, what, and yeah, all that. body language, yeah. mannerisms. You can say, ah, oh, something's not right. Um, you can get away from there, call the SRO, say, hey, we have somebody at the front that's trying to get in. I don't think everything's okay. Can you please come up here? Get the SRO up. Then we can we can vet them. And if at that point they're trying to, you know, get a concealed weapon, try to get access to the school, we've now prevented that. Yeah. You know, so uh, exterior doors that all secure, um, electronic access is great. It's great technology, you know, um, keeping it so that SROs, teachers can move freely around the building, administrators, staff can, um, students can too. If you have like multiple outbuildings where they have to move between passing periods, you can time your locks, you know, yep. at the beginning of passing period, the lock unlocks and it'll stay unlocked if you need to get in from the parking lot or from another building until passing period is over and then it locks back. You know, in everything you're telling me so far, the stuff that we would implement, it, I'm a parent. Yeah. I got a 13 year old, 10 year old. Um, all of that stuff I know from my experience will not make my school look like a prison. I can, this can be easily done without making oh, yeah. it look like a prison because sure. that's a concern. I don't want my kids to be freaked out by the security measures. Yeah. You know, that's a balance. Yeah. You don't, you don't need metal detectors on every door. Right. Um, if your school violence is that bad that you do need that, then <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure what you do at that point. Well, you could have a dog. Yeah. You could have a dog at the front, and it doesn't have to be a German Shepherd. Yeah. It could be a lab. It could be a German oh, yeah. Pointer. It could yeah. be drug it, and uh, could be a beagle. and explosive yeah. detection dogs. Yeah. You know, they're trained to detect a scent. Yeah. So we, you have them trained to detect gunpowder. Yeah. And that's all you need. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be aggressive. And if the dog just sits at the one control entry point, he doesn't have to sniff every single person that comes in. Like personally, he just has to be in the vicinity. If he smells something, all right, kids, everybody halt. Like we're chilling. Got an alert. Now we're going to check. You start going through the bags. So um, that's for, and we're talking mo like the most extreme style of schools. Oh yeah. That, um, and that would be extreme. Yeah. Compared to what we have right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I just, if I, the things that I'm thinking of as a parent, as you're talking, is I'm like, all right, how's that going to look? Okay. Yeah. You know, and it, I get the argument, like, why the fuck do you care what it looks like as long as your kids are safe? Like, it's both. It's a balance. Like, I I don't want my kids coming in. They got to pass some C wire. They got to pass, you know, two guys armed with, yeah. you know, sniper rifle, whatever. Yeah, you don't I need do. towers and, yeah. and glass that's and like, walls. That's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. But when I, I also don't think I need a kitted up. Uh, officer at each school either, you know, because that's not approachable for a kid. It's not approachable as a kid. It's Maybe tough. the kid that plays yeah. Call of Duty all the time. Maybe yeah. I love that shit. But, yeah. uh, I'm, you get your heavy vest, your helmet, yeah. your ear pro, your rifle. Right. Yeah. But I got to look out for everybody. I got to look out for the parents too. So as I'm thinking about what you're saying, um, yes, electronic, uh, entry control, stuff like that. Cameras are obviously paramount. Um, doors. Let's talk about doors to classroom. Sure. 
So in my experience, and you tell me this, since Columbine, it seems like all classroom doors are steel reinforced. Like you are not getting through that door if it's locked. They're pretty good. Yeah. I mean, we still have entry tools that we can use to bypass doors. Yes. And there's not a lot preventing a person from carrying those entry tools with them. Right. You talk about like a halligan bar and stuff like like that. Yeah, Yeah. the simple like fireman tools, blunt objects, pry bars, sledgehammers. If you wanted to get through a door, it'll take time, but that time buys you respect. Right. So, yeah, the biggest thing with doors is classrooms is when we do what we call lockdown. Uh, the each one of our secure postures has a different kind of description that goes with it. And with lockdown, it's locks, lights, out of sight. Lock the door, turn off the lights, get out of sight. Get out of the line of sight of the window. So your door needs to be secure enough that you can you can lock it, step away. That your window can be easily covered if you have a window on your door. That means just having a shade or things like that. Um, and then you need to get out of sight. Your room needs to be big enough that you can get out of sight and out of the immediate path of projectiles coming through that doorway at any angle. Yeah. And most classrooms are built that way. We can teach uh, a classroom of 30 kids and a teacher to say, Hey, when lockdown is called teacher, immediately go to the door, lock it, pull the shade, turn the lights and get to this corner. This is your, you can put tape on the floor. You can put things on the walls. You can do whatever you need to do. You can move desks in a lockdown your goal is to get over here to the safe area because this is your absolute safest area. You know, in order to get hit here, you'd have to come through the wall, have to come through the window, have to come through something else, but you're not going to get hit from the door. What's your opinion on arming teachers? I think it's probably a good thing to have more capable, ready defenders at a school. If they're willing to accept the extremely high level of responsibility and training that it's going to take to respond in a role beyond just a teacher. Cause I don't think all teachers should have guns. I don't think that all teachers should carry them. I don't think that they should all be ready to act as like I would act as law enforcement. Correct. Cause that's not what they signed up. Yeah. But if they want to shoulder the responsibility to be a force multiplier in a building uh, we already have the program here in Texas, the school marshal program. I know really? teachers. Yeah, I know teachers that have done it. I never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, you go to additional training. They do simunition, um, force on force training, like we do active shooter response training. No shit. They uh, you're the only person that knows about them actively carrying or actively possessing a weapon in a locked and secure place and location in the school uh, is the principal and the SRO. And they're not identified in any way. You wouldn't even know it if they were. No shit. And it might be the person you least expect. That is awesome. Yeah. Okay. And it it varies from district to district. The district has to agree to the program. They have to put forth the training and the time and the effort. And I really think that as much training as they receive, there should be more. Because like I said, I'm a training nut. Yeah. I think that um, in order to maintain the high level of expectation that the public has for us and that we should have for ourselves in a very high risk, uh, no second chances environment that we operate in, then we need to train more. And that means that if you got to train in your off time, you got to train in your off. Shit. We know cops that they, they go fire and they, they, they train or they go to qualify each year 
and that's their training and that's their training for the yeah year. and that's that's not yeah. acceptable no it's not i'm with you shooting's a perishable skill control tactics is perishable being an aggressive responder to neutralize a threat is perishable we need more training so here's my there's going to be arguments that teachers that they're they're not designed for that they're not not all teachers are no and i agree however when you hear of teachers that unarmed lay in the way of gunfire and have died i'm like uh, most teachers I know, I, all teachers, I'll, I'll say this, all per- teachers I personally know will die unarmed yep. to, to protect, protect their, their kids. kids. Yeah. With that said, you give that same mindset a, a way to fight back with training that's guided by police, the professionals that do that yep. very thing. That's a pretty good recipe. That's a pretty yeah, it's, that's a, that's a pretty good recipe, and it's not it's not the fix, it's it's a fix, a fix along with physical security, yeah. along with and we're just we just talked about doors and cameras. Yeah, we didn't even get into, um, you know, brush putting putting ferns outside of windows to prevent anybody. That's from infrastructure. Getting, yeah, yeah, that's the, design. It, yes, that's, that's security design that you can make. You can make things attractive and still secure. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't have to look like a bare brick wall yes. with sea wire two stories it, up. It, yeah. And, it, you know, it doesn't yeah. have to look like a mental health ward or yep. a prison or a jail yes. to be secure. Secure design with pairing that with aesthetics can be done. Yeah. You look at a lot of, uh, tra- um, not traditional, um, uh, current or uh, recently built federal facilities. You look at any of those, they look beautiful. And they're secure by and design. They're, and they're so secure. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get close to a window without like pushing through. at ground level. Yeah. 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 Things that, like that. Yeah. Stuff like that. So it's, um, it's doable. Yes. We just have to prioritize yeah. it. You, would you think if we took $40 billion perhaps? For every school in America? Do you think we would have a good chance at? I think that <laughs> if, I mean. I mean, at least money's, money's one thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even if money's unlimited, you got to also have time and personnel and resources to do it. Yeah. It's going to take time. Yep. And a willingness. We haven't, we haven't even finished 35. Come on. We're not going it, to, it's going to be very difficult to get a nationwide effort to up design or redesign or um, reformat, relay out infrastructure that fast. It, it would take years. It, it would take it would take years. It would it would take probably a decade of consistent, concentrated, focused effort to make every single school that does exist and will exist, regardless of design plans, that this becomes a mandate. That whether it's at the federal level, the state level, just the cultural level of you no, know, we have this expectation for our schools that they're going to be secure and secure by design. That doesn't mean that they can't be aesthetic. Yeah. So, um, with, there you go again. So, so, uh, so, uh, <laughs> um, I'm thinking if people listen to this and they're, they're, we're not the end all be all of departments where you and I are at, we're one of many voices. Yeah. LAPD, Baltimore, New York, all oh, yeah. of these people have different things to, to bring to the table and to offer. 
But what I am hoping is that they hear somebody hears what we're talking about and they're like, I didn't know where to start. Here's a good start. Um, We've talked about the physical security. We've talked about the training. Yeah. um, Talked about the things that you in your 10 years of doing this um, have seen be successful. And uh, we've shown the reality of this isn't, this isn't a once in a couple of years thing. This fucking happens daily. It's just prevented. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's seen, uh, it's not talked about and stuff like that. So what I want people to see as well is when Judd comes to work, when you come to work for the week, when you get to work, what's the day to day like? What yeah. do you do? You show up. Is there a game plan? What, oh, yeah. What, what's, what, what's going on? So the routine is there because school's on a schedule. You know, we start at the same time every day. We have passing period at the same time. We have lunches the same time every day. And it's easy to become complacent or get into a nice groove and become predictable. When you become predictable, then you become vulnerable. So my day-to-day varies a little bit. I try to keep things random as to how I do it. Um, a lot of times I arrive, I'll say not a lot of times, every every day I arrive before school starts, about an hour before school starts. I check the perimeter. I check the inside. I also check the schedule to see what's on the schedule for the day. Are we doing testing? Do we have a community event? Like, do we have a parent-teacher conference? Do we have... Uh, a picnic in the front yard? Do we have uh, maybe a career fair or something like that going on? Do we have a big game going on today? Do we have a, a track meet? You know, what's going on that day? And uh, maintaining that communication flow with your administration is crucial. Once I get that done, check the perimeter of the campus, look for anything out of the ordinary. Because um, my my start time, I mean, I start at the same time every day. Um so they can, they can count on that. I can be predictable in that way, that I'm going to be around the campus about the same time every day, but it's going to be way before everybody else gets there. Once I'm on the alert for that, then I decide where I'm going to be for arrival. And the way I've got it set up is we've got, there's two of us at my campus and we were split. We're not both in the same place a lot of the day. We're, we're moving around actively. We still talk. We still communicate, whether it's by radio, phone, whatever it is. We're still communicating constantly during the day. And how many kids do you have at your school? About 2,000. Okay. So I'm just trying to give people an idea. Big school. Um, Our campus occupies about a square city block. We've got four four academic buildings with our uh, athletic outbuildings. We've probably probably got seven buildings um, on the campus. So I decide where I'm going to be for arrival. Usually my spot is going to be at the front, but I'm not always there. I'm not there every single day because if somebody's watching and trying to establish a pattern of behavior to maybe plan an attack, they're going to notice that I'm not there every single day, that I'm there a lot. I like to be there when all the kids get off the buses, but I also sometimes will be in the parking lot where the kids are coming in off of their, uh, you know, in their personal vehicles. And we've got several of those. We've got several parking lots. So I try not to be in the same spot every single day. If you can become predictable, you become vulnerable. Right. So I vary my routine a little bit. After we get all the kids in, we've got the building secured. You know, arrival times happened. Um, any late arrivals have to come to the front. Check all the exterior. Just give it another once over around the place. Drive around. Walk around. For the first 
period of the day, I'm usually walking the entire campus. I'm checking in, seeing who's here, seeing who's not here, who's got subs, um, who's going to be, who's who my counselors are here, who my social workers are here, who my administrators are here, who's not here. What kind of problems would that be for the rest of the day? In the meantime, I'm also responding to anything that comes up. You know, we might have something first thing in the morning. We might have a fight in the cafeteria, you know, at the breakfast line. We might have um, the dogs coming from the district to sweep the parking lot. No, they come in for contraband. <laughs> but they, oh, are you talking about the kids or yeah. the dogs? The kids. Yeah, the kids get breakfast. Yeah. What the fuck? I didn't get yeah. breakfast. No, and that you did. You just didn't always get no. Really? Your cafeteria didn't do breakfast at no. all? No. Oh, wow. No. No. Now, um, through grants from, I think it's the USDA, um, at, or at the federal level somewhere, um, food in our district is free. They get free breakfast and free lunch, and they get free snacks to take home at the end of the day. And no it's shit. good stuff, yeah. Nice. I mean, it's not the most, it's not the most, like, desirable food that a kid would want. Right. It's not going to be, like... Hot Cheetos and Takis and Seven Up. I was gonna say, like, or the type Sprite of or, or food. I Coca-Cola. it's probably healthier than what yeah. I want. <laughs> um, but you're gonna get you're gonna get for breakfast. You're gonna get a filling, pretty nutritious meal. Um, you know, it's it's I'm I'm big on nutrition, so I always look at the school lunch and I'm like, mm, that could be improved. You know, you get better protein. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's school lunch, yeah. it's free. But it's still free. It's free, sustainable food. Yeah. Yeah, so we get breakfast in the morning. Um, first period, I'm checking around and I'm available to respond to whatever, or I'm actively, proactively just seeing what's going on, letting everybody know that I'm there. I'm not hiding in my office. I'm not sitting in my car. I'm walking the hallways. I'm talking with people. I'm talking with administrators. I'm talking with social workers. Trying to you know see what's going on. Yeah, what's, what's going on? Is there in the heartbeat? Yeah, and then through the rest of the day, it's a lot of the same. It's if I'm not actively dealing with something, it's like in patrol. If you don't get a call, patrol. Yeah. That's what you're there for. You can be around. How are you, when are you checking like social media? Are you only checking social media when you hear about something or are you, is it something that you're like, here's my potential gang issues. Here's my, yeah. like, are you? It depends on what's active during the time. If, um, you know, say there was a fight or, you know, a disagreement or something, something we had to mediate. Yeah. We do a lot of that. We do a lot of mediation. If there's something we had to mediate between some students, then, you know, it could be every day. It could be every hour. But usually when I go into my computer, because in my office, if I need to, if, if I'm tired of walking around, if I've been, you know, I've walked every hallway three times or whatever, and I'm just like, okay, I've got about 5,000 steps for the day and it's already, it's like 11 a.m. I'm going to go sit in my office for a bit. I've already, I've got eyes all over the, the campus because I've got monitors this big in my office and I've got every camera view we've got at fingertips. Yeah. So I've got those up and then I've got social media. I can check in, see what's going on. I mean, we've got, I've, my office is kind of the, the command center okay. for, you know, I, from my office, I can respond. I can, I can direct people in over the radio, um, where we've got surveillance. I can see what's going on if I don't need to go there or, I can put somebody in there and say, all right, here's the camera system. You're an administrator. You know how this works. Um, direct it and call me on the radio because we have our separate school radio and then we've got our police radio. So I'm working two radios all day, multiple channels, and then I've always got my cell phone. And my campus where it's at, we've got a cell tower on the campus. It's in the back. So we there's no excuse for bad cell signal. Everywhere, every single room that I've ever been on that campus has cell signal. 
So if you can't get me on the radio because the radio isn't perfect, if you can't get me on that, then call me on the uh, call me on the cell. Okay, I'll pick up. Nice. Yeah. Um, what has the pressure been like since you've all from the community or from myself? Because those are different. Both. From the community, I think it's been a lot of questions, a lot of why'd this happen? You know, um, how could that have happened? You know, what's your experience? Can you give us more support? Because we were right at the end of school when it happened. And there was a lot of question and answer of here's what we're doing to prevent this. Here's what we're doing to, you know, be proactive. For me personally, um, I've struggled with the after action review of what happened in Uvalde. Cause I, from everything that I'm hearing, just the peripheral, like first blush, you know, very small amount of information that we're getting. It's not good. I cannot imagine the, and I hope that I'm wrong, but the worst case scenario of being actively there with equipment, with training, with experience and with a directive, letting somebody kill elementary kids or any kids or any people for that matter and just being in the hallway because you were told no right if if i get there and i'm first there and somebody says no wait i've actively defied that order before yes i've done it i've I've done it in a school i've put a school on lockdown i've been told on the radio wait wait for a team and i've said no and i'm going i got chewed out but you know what i did do i got the kid i made it safe and I, I told him exactly where I was going to be. And I got there before anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I took care of it. That's what you have to do at yeah. that point. Yeah. If, and I know that your rate of success is a lot higher if you have a team. I get that. But action is faster than reaction. If you're trained, if you're competent, if you're willing, I think you have a very high rate of success. Yeah. If you... Uh, if they know an SRO is on campus, but they don't know where you are and you know the building, you have a layout advantage. Um, I think you have, you have the element of surprise. Yeah. And you can use that to your benefit. I would like to say from, and I'm, you may agree, you may not. I don't know. If the worst happened, if what the wor- the worst of the worst of what we're hearing, yeah. If that happened, there's no fucking excuse. There's none. And criminal, shame, dishonorable, whatever you want to say. Yeah. Um, I've learned and we've talked about this. I don't I'm not going to have any judgment until I see an official investigation. Yeah. Because shit gets out there so damn fast. It does. And um especially with social media and everything. I'm going to reserve my judgment for yeah. that. Um, I'm going to guess that it's somewhere in the middle. I think so, too. I'm going to say, um, if I were to guess, and we were talking about the the physical security side, um, I know, like, if I rush in and I'm alone and I'm met with a steel-framed door that's designed to be in reinforced it's designed to keep me out that's how these school doors are i have no chance there's nothing i can do and it makes no sense for me to 
jump in front of a fatal funnel just to die because I can't respond. I don't know what's behind the door. I yeah. can't shoot at kids. These are concerns that I think yeah. of as an officer. Yeah. If you shoot through the door, like trying to breach the door, could you hit a kid on the other side? Right. How can you live with that? Exactly. So you damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's yeah. one of those scenarios. So these Imagine are things that. I just I just want people to consider. Yeah. Um and what information do you are you getting while you're there? Um one of the things I did hear is that nobody was hearing like officers weren't hearing gunfire. Like like they didn't hear gunfire while yeah. they were there. Like once maybe they heard it when they first showed up, but then like as they assembled and were getting ready, it had stopped. And yeah. they hadn't heard anything for a long time, and that was yeah. the cause of the delay. I, I, I hope that's the case. I, I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. if that is the case, now you've got a barricaded person, which is there's there's where the difference lies. And that's where you're that's that's when you stop, assess, don't rush to yes. your death. Yes. Um because you know, you could have somebody laying in ambush yes. waiting for you. But that's when your intentional clearing training comes in. It's we're not we're not actively, you know running to the gunfire to neutralize the threat. Guess what? Now we have to clear a bunch of rooms and maybe we don't do it all the time, but I guarantee you, you were probably trained how to do it. It's the same, whether you're on a building search for a burglar on alarm call, or you're clearing a room for an active shooter. You're going to do it. You can do a lot. You're going to get don't a lot of suck reps. up the walls, pie. Yeah. It's, Take your time. It's basics. Yeah. It's basic stuff. And if you have, if you're not hearing gunfire, that's when you can slow down, but you can also actively be doing a lot. Yes. You can set teams on hallways. You can have entry teams. You can get to doors. And I think part of our mandate is not only that, you know, say you get to a door that you can't get through, you should probably learn and be equipped with some entry tools. Yeah. I'd like to uh, thank my special friend. He's a firefighter. I won't mention his name. I'll just say his first name, Keith. Uh, he got me a Halligan. A Halligan? Yeah. For my, tool. for my team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what we were doing at the time, um, I'm in a different position now, but at the time there's a lot of scenarios that damn, that thing would have came in handy, but it's not something cops are issued. Yeah. And I want people to understand that. Like, that's not a common thing. It's common for firefighters, but, um, I guarantee it's going to be something that comes down the line now. Um, in every tragedy, I hope there's things that we can learn and improve on. Um, breaching tools being one of those. A few years ago, um, all of the SROs in Fort Worth, we were issued and trained in breaching tools. We all carry breaching tools with our setup. Gotcha. And uh, there are things like Halligans. It's a, it's a different device, um, but it can get through. I've seen it get through a lot and it gets through pretty quickly, whether it's steel. I mean, if it's a bank vault, you know, it's not going to get through that. Right. But if it's a commercial steel door, it'll get right through it. If it's a residential steel door, it'll get through it. Like your garage doors, your solid core, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, your front doors, you'll get through that. You can use it as an entry tool on windows, break and rake. Um, and then uh, not all of the SROs, but I've been to shotgun breaching school. So I have a shotgun. Oh, I've never done that. I can breach. That'd be fun. Yeah. Um, that's that's an emergency situation where you're going to have to be cognizant. But having seen what the rounds that we use do, I'm pretty confident in the methods we use. Pretty confident I can probably not hurt somebody on the other side. Yeah. Provided they're not within like three to five feet of the door. Right. Plus you understand yeah. and know the the layouts of the rooms and where people would go during a response and all of that stuff. Yeah. As a trained SRO. Where they should. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
They, they, now, if, they got some, if they got a bad guy in there, the hope is, is that their training is kicked in. And if they're capable, um, you know, if it's high school, you've got a bunch of adult sized people running around, whether they're kids or they're adults Yeah, yeah. In elementary school, it's kind of hard to train elementary school kids to say, all right, guys, here's the active shooter protocol. We're going to lock the door, but if he gets in, we're going to fight. It's kind of hard to do. Yeah. It's not a reasonable expectation. Yeah. 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 For and high school though. Hey guys. Yeah. Um, if, uh, one of the guys we had a kid that graduated, you know, that kid, he's a young man. Um, but he graduated and, uh, he was on the wrestling team. He's going to the air force Academy. Hell yeah. Just a stud. Uh, I, I would not want to fight that kid. Yeah. But he's a great kid. He's, but he's also 285 pounds can, you know, deadlift 450, squat 350 easy. Uh, probably pick me up and like break my back. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that kid was able to fight, like if he's standing at the door holding a desk or a chair and somebody comes through there and he just wham hits him with it. Yep. That's the kind of mentality that you need. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. You're, you're on lockdown, but you also probably need your biggest guys or teachers or adults by the front door with something that could be readily available. That's safe. Whether it's a chair, whether it's a fire extinguisher, whether it's, you know, whatever. It is. Give yourself some sort of force something, multiplier. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, out of all the stuff we've covered, I personally can't think of anything else given what's happened in recent time. I'm trying to put people's minds at ease and trying to give them tools and ideas and stuff that they can present to their own schools. Yeah. Maybe they hear something you say that they don't currently have, whatever it is. But, um, is there anything that you can think of that I haven't hit that you're like, this is something else that should be considered? I think that if you've got nothing, you're starting from scratch. Say you've got, you know, you got fire drill plans, you got a fire exit plan, you got floor plans that you should have, but you don't have a really solid response protocol. Um, I would look at the I Love You Guys Foundation for the standard response protocol. I never heard of that. It was founded because of an active shooting. Uh, the last thing that the victim said to her parents was, I love you guys. They can't remember if it was a phone call or a text message, but that was the last thing that they got from her. And then she was killed. They founded a foundation that helps for free, hundred percent free. And I've implemented this in, uh, shown it to schools, shown it to community centers, churches, businesses. This is the standard response protocol. So it's what it's called. And it's basically five defensive postures that you can, train for you can get free signage for printouts things like that and uh there's there's free training there's train the trainer um but it's it's basically covering your lockdown hold secure shelter and evacuate that's it it's five basic things you need to do in an emergency and say the place is on fire evacuate somebody outside you're not sure who it is they might be a threat okay we're going to secure there's a medical emergency in the building and we need paramedics to be able to move in and out of the hallways really fast. Hold. We're just going to hold everybody in every classroom. Just don't go in the hallways right now. Not an emergency, not like life or death. Say uh, you need to, there's a tornado coming. We're in tornado country. Shelter. Everybody into the hallways, away from windows. Get there. And then the worst one, lockdown. You know, locks, lights, out of sight. If you've got nothing, start there. And then from there, open lines of communication to your police department. If you're in a small agency or a small city, get them in, get them familiar with the grounds, 
And then if you are a small police department and you don't have active shooter training, you need to firmly get that training to your officers so that they understand what their mission is, that that's going to be a time to be aggressive. That's going to be a time to get in there, neutralize the threat. And that's what you got to do to save lives. All right. Well, Ethan, we are two hours and 37 minutes in. Sounds good. Uh, I think we've, I think we've hit it hard. Yeah. And I think we've covered what we needed to cover. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to come out despite sure. all the shit that happened. Oh man, it's, uh, it's fine. That's every day. It, it, believe it or not, I was trying to get Zenteno to come out and do this, but, uh, Oh, he uh, flaked out. Uh, yeah, he flaked out on me several times. So I'm throwing shade at him. Um, cause he's a worthless human being. Let's face it. Um, <sighs> I mean, there's there's uh, the good ones, and then there's him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, fuck you, Zenteno. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming out. Um, Ethan Judd, everybody. Uh, so look him up. And if you guys have any questions in light of all the recent events, uh, send, you know, two cops, one donut at yahoo.com. You can send emails, um, whatever it is. If you have questions for Ethan, I will get them to him and I will post them and get all yeah, that shit out. More than happy to respond. Get all that yeah. stuff out there. But I appreciate you coming out, brother. Thank you. You have a good time? Yeah. Easier than you thought it would be? Oh, I, I've done a lot of interviews Hell with yeah. this type of stuff before. Hell yeah. I've never been like a full long podcast type yeah. thing. But I just think long form discussion. Would, did you see the thing I did for the news? I didn't. No, you should check it out. I did not. Yeah, for one of our local news. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, they had a thing on the SRO. Stuff. Oh, no shit. Mm -hmm. They okay. came out, interviewed me at the school. We talked for, it was like a 10-minute interview. Okay, not nearly like, long enough. It was like a two-minute like segment yeah. on the nightly news. That's my problem with the news. But it was yeah. good. A lot of people saw like, it. And I've yeah. had a lot of people asking about, hey, what can I do? Or oh, I saw your thing. That was really informative. Thanks. Okay. And every time that happened, I would say, we talked for like 10 minutes and I answered a lot of questions and they used only maybe 20 seconds of me talking. So any of your concerns probably were answered if they had a longer segment. But yeah, if you're definitely interested in. Well, we started getting we in the meat and potatoes at an hour. So yeah. we got that. So for about an hour and a half or longer. We'll, we'll just let everyone know if they want to skip the boring story. Of oh, I always who do. I am yeah. When I put the, when I put yeah. the narrative, Time like what it's about. Here. Yeah. I'm like, hey, if you want to skip ahead, get to the hour. We do talk about some good stuff though. But, uh, yo, absolutely. And then the other thing I want to do is I'll have you send me, when I get ready to post this, I'll say, send me your link to your sure. news thing. And then people can see like if there's something additional in there or whatever yeah. that they can get out of it. And then. I think my answer um, for what do I want parents to know um, is we're committed. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, that's, that's, that's what I said during that piece. Uh, we're committed to being here. We're committed to providing the best police service we can. We have a lot of training. We have a lot of opportunities. We have a lot of resources and we're putting them to good use. Amen, brother. I hope we don't let you down. I don't think we will. Nice. All right, man. That was Thanks. fun. Appreciate it.